106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Um, I wasn't going to speak. I was asked to speak here, you know, uh, Sheriff, good to see you. Um, I'm telling you guys, you know, I'm pretty appalled at what's going on. You know, at first we sat as concerned citizens that we all wanted to figure out how to best navigate our way through this whole COVID thing, you know. And uh, as, as we realized that it's not quite as dangerous as we thought it'd be, you know, I was absolutely appalled at the cowardice, you know, and as you're sitting there with your masks on, uh, I don't blame you for wearing masks because I'd be hiding my face too if I was you for what you're doing. It's absolutely horrendous what you're doing to these people. I'm a business owner. And, uh, and I'm telling you, our families are starving. You know, you guys can sit here with your jobs. You can sit here and you're going to get paid. You can fall asleep in your chair like that gentleman's doing behind his mask right there. Okay? Uh, and I'm telling you right now that right now we're being peaceful. And, and you better be happy that we're, we're good citizens, that we're peaceful citizens. But it's not going to be peaceful much longer. Okay? And this isn't a threat. I'm not a criminal. I've never been a criminal. But I'm telling you, good citizens are going to turn into real concerned and revolutionary citizens real soon. And nobody else is going to say that. I'm probably the only person that has a ball to say what I'm saying right now. That we're building, we're organizing, and we'll work with law enforcement or without law enforcement. But you won't stop us when time comes because our families are starving. And if you don't hear the seriousness in my voice, I hope you open your ears and you absolutely listen to what I'm saying. Because this is a warning for what's coming. It's not going to be peaceful much longer. It's not going to be rah-rah. It's not going to be speeches. It's not going to be gathering outside saying a Pledge of Allegiance. It's not going to be waving flags. It's going to be real. When you see the things that I've seen, I went to war for this country. I've seen the ugliest, dirtiest part of humanity. I've been in combat, and I never want to go back again. But I'm telling you what, I will to save this country. If it has to be against our own citizens, it will happen. And there's a million people like me, and you won't stop us. Open the county. Let our citizens do what they need to do. Let owners of businesses do what they need to do to feed their families. Take the masks off. Quit masking and muzzling your children. The psychological damage you're doing to them is horrible. I've had six friends kill themselves since it's happened. Veterans who lost their jobs. How do you feel about being complicit in perpetuating that? The greatest hoax ever perpetuated on the American people. And you're a part of it by wearing your masks. In Shasta County, we're supposed to be red country up here. Not blue country, we're red country up here. You guys know that. And you claim to be conservatives, maybe you're not, maybe you're liberals, I don't know. But by God, we're Americans, and remember that. Take your masks off. Quit muzzling yourselves. Join us. Fight with us against what's going on in Sacramento. It's a travesty. Thanks. Not just about sports. It's really about our society. And this is a critical element in our society, not just the athletics, but also the same kids who are in band or the same kids who are in the science club after school. These are structures that are very important. Uh, they, they provide opportunities for these kids to excel. And look, when I, when I hear things like it's not worth the risk, First of all, as a coach, I've, been, I've had the opportunity to watch this football team at Bedford prepare for this year. And we told them, you know, if you wear your mask, you social distance at meetings, you know, split your time in the weight room. They've done all those things. We said if you follow these protocols, you will have the opportunity to play. To now come back to them and say you've done everything right, but you know what, we, we still don't have the, the will to let that happen. And I think back to those words, it's not worth the risk. We know, most of us up here have either played or been a part of athletics. We understand that there's inherent risk to what we do. That's why there's an ambulance that sits out by the football fields on Friday night. We know that there is risk. But always that risk-benefit-reward ratio has always been left up to the families. 
to determine is this worth the physical risk? Well, I don't see any difference in that now. And quite frankly, the governor has himself said when he was out in a protest in the streets of Harrisburg, he said when asked, did you follow your own protocols? He goes, no, I didn't because I felt the cause was worth the risk. Well, we cannot just allow one person in Pennsylvania to, discer to d discern for everyone which causes are worth the risk and which are not. That decision needs to be left up to parents and it needs to be left up to families. Is it worth the risk? I believe that in my case it is, maybe some other people don't, but at the end of the day, if we're going to leave that decision only up to one person, then we have a problem that's far greater than COVID-19. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day Yet knowing how way leads on to way I doubted if I should ever come back I shall be telling this with a sigh Somewhere ages and ages hence Two roads diverged in a wood And I... I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Good evening, or good morning, however however you want it. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. This is episode 73, and it will show up on August 22, 2020. Thank you for listening. I'm honored that you are interested in this program, and uh, thank someone who... Uh, introduced you to me. Nobody just stumbles across me unless God speaks to them in the middle of the night, which happens to people in other other realms. Uh, but short of God speaking to you, you probably just stumbled across this by talking to a friend. So uh, if you just uh, dipped into your podcast source, great. We also have a website, nohostagesradio.com, nohostagesradio.com. And so you can go there and look at some old articles passed in the past 73 weeks and uh, and all our other uh, podcasts. You can also email me, which more and more people are, which uh, that's great because you're uh, informing me of things and answering questions and providing information. 
So uh, no hostages radio dot uh, com. But you just add ask add Lou L O U at Lou at the at sign Lou at no hostages radio dot com. And you got me. Uh, let's see. Also, I just give you my phone number at five three zero seven one three one eight three eight five three zero seven one three one eight three eight. You can always shoot me a text. You can call me 24 hours a day. Uh, sometimes uh, I'm in a meeting or like right now I'm on the radio or on the podcast, so I'm not answering the phone. So to go to voicemail. I answer trauma intervention program on that line if I don't recognize your name, if it's not on my phone. So uh, don't let that throw you. I will call you right back and um, have a chat. So it doesn't really ma- matter what time zone you're in. I'm used to answering calls for trauma intervention around the clock. And uh, we'll chat with you if you want. Or I can take a, a text if you have a question about something. So um, let's see. What else do I need to say to start? Oh, if you're new, if you're brand new, uh, we'll do six segments of about 20 minutes of talk each and then uh, broken up by about uh, oh, four to six minutes of uh, clips that I've stumbled across over the last week that I think are really relevant, pertinent, and provocative. So I hope you enjoy those. I I don't put them in there lightly. I'm just not using them as filler. I'm trying to educate. That's my next my gig here is trying to inform you because um, I learned a number of years ago that <clears throat> we're we ought to be people of influence because somebody is influencing folks, and a lot of people are got an agenda that are jerking people around and hurting people. My agenda is freedom. My agenda is, is, uh, is the freer people are, the better people are. If they, they should be free to even make a wrong decision. I'm against big government. I think the government is way too big already. And, uh, I'm not into democracy. I'm into the Republic. And so I'm trying to get the word out and I have some grandkids I'm concerned about. So I'm going to keep doing this until I can't do it no more or it doesn't seem pertinent anymore, relevant or realistic, move on, do something different. So things are changing quickly. As you notice in your lives, uh, things are changing quickly around the world, around our country. And I'm not quite sure where things are going to end up, uh, it depends on where you live, right? So I live in a rural area. It's more conservative. We haven't shot anybody up here yet, but I think we will before it's over. But in the in the Bay Area, in the in the urban areas, uh, people are getting hurt, and that's because people are want to act out down there. And uh, so the government gives us a right to defend ourselves, and so I plan to do that. So recently, I had all my guns cleaned. And I'm out to buy myself a handgun without a permit. I'm going to buy that dude off the grid. And I'm not going to get a concealed weapon permit because that's against the Constitution. So I will go to jail for those things if that comes to pass, which is all right with me. Uh, I would rather live and die by the Constitution than by some socialist system that we have uh, succumbed to. So um, if you... Noticed whether you're in California or in one of the other states, you've probably heard about California. We are now burning up. 
We're being run by liberals, so here's what we get. We're broke, we're burning up, and we cannot keep the lights on. And, you know, we we passed uh, Prop 32 a number of years ago, which meant that we were heading towards mandatory green energy. In other words, no more fossil fuels. So right now we're short of fossil fuel. Uh, we're short of electricity because, like right now, I'm, I'm producing this show. It's dark out, and there's no wind. So that means two things, no solar power and no bir- no bird blenders, no wind power. So you have a shortage when, when you have, like right now it's very hot here in California, so we're using more utilities than normal. And we don't have we don't have the resource of electricity to supply the demand because we've we've shut down uh, nuclear. We've shut down some of the fossil fuel plants. We've shut down some of the hydro plants. In fact, we have a hydro plant in our county here. It's one of the very it's a very unique plant. I don't have time to go into the details. It's called Bullard's Bar or the new Bullard's Bar. And they just made a decision this week because of the shortage of electricity that we sell. Yuba County sells electricity to the grid. And uh, because of the shortage of electricity, they've actually upped the amount uh, by 20 percent or not 20 percent, a certain percent. And they said they could help 20,000 more households a day. So I thought that was a good idea. But it also shows the value and needfulness of hydropower, where hydropower, for those in Oliver and Linda, that means water power. And water power uh, is clean. It's clean power. It's just water pushing through a, a equipment uh, that uh, turns other equipment that makes electricity. Very clean. Nuclear is clean. Uh, Bird, bird blenders kill millions of birds, but uh, liberals don't have any problem killing birds, even though they they fought to, for the spotted owl. Now they're into killing them if if they're running a windmill. But so the 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 green energy idea. In fact, at the very end of the show, there's a two and a half minute clip by the Heritage Institution or Institute that is really involved in studying the environment from a conservative standpoint on what really will work. And, and they're going to talk to you about that. I won't, I don't want to be redundant uh, where I can talk about other things. So right now we have um, liberal policies at their best, which is we're on fire because no one, they don't want to manage the forests anymore. They just want to let them burn, let them grow, let them burn. Uh, so the entire state is on fire. Uh, it is 102, 104, 106, 108 degrees during the day. We couldn't see the sun all day today. There's so much smoke. Um, We're fighting over whether to wear a mask for COVID. Now people are choking to death from the smoke, and they have no power, so you can't run the air conditioning. So big parts of town are we're having to use what they call rolling blackouts. They're not because a a piece of equipment failed. They're actually planned blackouts because there's not enough power to go around. Now, the first time I ever experienced rolling blackouts was in Tijuana. In 1987, we were down there building an orphanage, and uh, they would have blackouts uh, certain times of the day. And you couldn't, and there you couldn't, the water wouldn't even run. Uh, and that's just the way it was. And then uh, also before I went to 
well, about the same time after I went to there, I went to Uganda after Idi Amin got done destroying Uganda, and power was down there many much many of the hours of the day. Uh, telephone was down, and we're getting there. You see, we're working at it, and uh, the and we have. I just read an article just before coming on here that we have more billionaires in California than anywhere in the world. Uh, anywhere, sorry, in the United States, 25%, I think, of the billionaires are in California and a, and a huge number, like 17, 18% of the millionaires. Uh, yet we have the highest poverty rate in the in the country. So did you know that since COVID took over, uh, billionaires have become richer? Does that surprise you? And the poor and the middle class have gone broke. Uh, that is what they call a transfer of wealth. Uh, to the uh, so did you notice the big box store stayed open all the government employees stayed employed and all your small businesses lost their business and and then we have our local uh, health officer Dr. Lou coming on video and saying she feels our pain and she understands our pain even though she's making $300,000 a year has a house in Elk Grove but doesn't want to drive back and forth so they put her up in a hotel and then she says she's also under stress God bless her and so she does things like yoga. Well, when you've lost your house and your husband just shot himself in the head, yoga just don't get it anymore, honey. Yoga just doesn't get it or meditation. So uh, we got problems out here. Some of my friends are leaving. They're all they're all buying property over in Idaho and different places. And I've I've tried to remind them uh, if they're Christian people, if they're just people looking for a good deal, there's lots of good states that I would move to in a heartbeat. But if you're Christian people and you want to follow the will of God, you need to find out where God wants you because God wants you to do something in whatever state or country of the world he wants you to be part of, whether it's communist. Some of my friends have been living in communist countries, and they're working with the underground church, and they are doing a good job, and that's their lot in life. That's where God wants them. So uh, some of you uh, in California, you may be used in California to make some big changes here that need to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to say it's going to get any better. It could get a lot worse. So uh, if you're a Christian person, you need to find out what God wants you to do, not what's best for your pocketbook and or what's best even for your personal liberty. The war, uh, a war may f- break out right here, um, a civil war among people that that want to follow the Constitution versus those who want to follow socialism and ignore the Constitution. Right now, we have a socialist dictator called Gavin Newsom, and we're working on a recall of Gavin Newsom, um, and we need your help. Now, like my neighbors next door, I tried to get them registered to vote. I, well, I, you know, my vote doesn't count. Well, yet, you know something? I've been thinking a lot about this. If you do not vote, it does count. Because if you would have voted against Gavin, there's a chance of enough of you would have done that. Or if you would have voted conservative on a number of different candidates like Garamendi, who was our local congressman. When you don't vote, that's a vote for him. And so you're voting by not voting. And so in a recall, the cool thing about a recall is you can vote 100 times. If you get 100 of your friends to sign the recall then uh, that means you have motivated, you have, you've uh, multiplied your influence. You see what I'm getting at? You multiply your influence by talking to people and say, hey, 
You happy with uh, fires all the time? You happy with uh, power going out? You, you can't even run your uh, oxygen machines. Uh, so you can you can get people to sign up to recall the government Go- governor, Governor Gavin Newsom. And if you go to recall, R-E-C-A-L-L, Gavin, G-A-V-I-N, 2020, the, the numbers 2020.com, you can you can uh, print off a, a recall petition and just sign it and send it in. If you don't have a printer or you don't or you don't have um, any way to go about that, you can uh, you can I'm going to give you some places to go to sign. Now, signing the the recall petition does not recall the governor. We got to vote on that. All we're going to do is sign the petition. And if we get enough good signatures, registered voters signing by November 17th of this year, then we can have a special election where the question will be asked, do you want to recall governor, the governor, Gavin Newsom? And if the majority of people, if more people want him recalled than don't, then he will be recalled. It's over right then. And then you would vote also on that same ballot for some people that say, I would, if Gavin doesn't stay governor, I'd like to try it. And then whoever gets the most votes on that same ballot, if indeed Gavin Newsom gets recalled, they will be governor. Now, uh, you can go to recall. Uh, I don't know where you're if you may be listening to some other part of California. So if I give you a local address to sign a recall, it doesn't help you any. So if you go to recall Gavin 2020 and you look up the Facebook page for your county, if you click on that Facebook page, you can find out where to sign up right in your uh, in your vicinity. Or you can just, as I say, you can print off a sheet, eight and a half by 11 sheet. There's five signature spots. You can sign and mail those right in yourself. You don't have to do anything else. Sign and mail. You need to be registered to vote. So you can go down to your local county clerk and do it right in person. You can go on. Uh, they say you can go on to dmv.gov. And you can sign up there, or you can go to sos.gov, secretaryofstate.gov, and you can sign up there to vote. You need to be a registered person to vote. If you So if you're 17, you can still register to vote, as long as you're going to be 18 by the time of the next election, which is November 4. So if, say if you're going to ha- have an October birthday, September birthday, or you're going to have an August birthday, uh, you can register to vote. And um, you can you can get it on. So, um, all right, uh, let's see. Recall the governor. There was usually one other thing I tell you. Oh, let me tell you where locally we're in Yuba County and Sutter County. That's where I'm sitting. I'm sitting in Yuba County right at the time right now in my uh, little podcast room. And you can go to. um an address any day of the week, this address, and you could sign up. It'll take you, once you get out of the car and walk in, it'll take you about two minutes to sign. And that's at 5548 Feather River Boulevard. That's just south of Marysville off the freeway. Very simple to get to. It's Elite Universal Security. They, they're they a security firm. It's very safe there. It's fenced in. You drive in. There's an office, 5548 Feather River Boulevard. If you want to double check that they're open, they are, but you can double check by dialing 530 749 
530 Now, in the Yuba Sutter area, they've been doing a lot of sign-ups at Walmarts, around Walmarts in the, in the two cities, and Sam's Club. Uh, I don't have any other current locations, but if you'll do that much, uh, you can find out what's what's shaken. Or if you go on to you, if you go into that Recall Gavin twenty twenty website, you can go on the Yuba County or Sutter County Facebook page for Recall Gavin, and it'll they'll be up to date things on where you can sign. We actually need some people to volunteer, and uh, you can get involved by being at one of these places. You put up a little you know pop up tent, and they have it's very simple. You just host it. You have you just sit there and have people come up. There's signs, there's banners. They'll set it all up for you, and you just there help people sign up and recall the governor. Okay, let's see. The other thing that's happening is uh, when the primary occurred, uh, John Garamendi uh, keeps getting elected to office here because they redistrict this area, Northern California, and they included Yolo County and Son- parts of Sonoma County. All are parts of Sonoma County and all of Yolo County. And when they did that, there's so many liberal people over there that they changed. We ended up, instead of having a conservative congressman, now we have one of the most liberal congressmen, one of the older congressmen there that's never really had a job in his life since he's been in college named John Garamendi. And uh, he is, uh, again, they're up for re-election every two years. So in the primary, there were three primary candidates, uh, Republican candidate. Well, there are three candidates, two Republican and one uh, Democrat, Garamendi. So the two two Republicans were Sean uh, Foyt. Uh, he is the uh, musician, worship leader, musician, businessman. He was running, and his first time he ever ran for office. And Tamika Hamilton, and uh, Tamika was the... Uh, vote getter of the the top vote getter of the Republicans. And uh, so she uh, is going to be in the contest here in November against John Garmini. Her name's Tamika Hamilton. And you can just, uh, it's T-A-M-I-K-A, Tamika Hamilton. And you can, she has all kinds of uh, websites and you can learn all about her if you don't, you've never heard from, heard about her. You can go check it out and uh, learn about her. But the reason I'm bringing her up today or tonight is to tell you that <clears throat> Church of she's going to have a she's having various fundraisers, uh, and uh, there's going to be one hosted at Church of Glad Tidings on September 19th. And I like her. If you go on her website, you'll see uh, see her speaking. And uh, she's a pretty winsome person. And I think she's a sharp person. She's got had a, done a stint in the military. Um, so I, I'm going to I'm at a break right now. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the fundraiser and how you can help uh, in just a minute. OK, we'll take a break.
to do with the fact that in the Soviet Union, if you want to buy an automobile, there is a 10-year wait. And you go through a, quite a process when you're ready to buy, and then you put up the money in advance. So there was a young fellow there that had finally made it, and he was going through all the bureaus and agencies that he had to go through and signing all the papers and finally got to that last agency where they put the stamp on it. And the man then that had made the final stamp of the paper, taken the money, said, all right, come back in 10 years and get delivery of your car. And he said, morning or afternoon? <laughs> and the fellow, the fellow said, well, 10 years from now, what difference does it make? He said, the plumber's coming in the morning. California is burning. This state's been set ablaze. We can all see it. This is a state on fire. Businesses are fleeing. Families are fleeing. Dreams are being destroyed. Who set this fire? It's the same arsonists who set fires all around the world. Fires that have torched other nations, burned their prosperity down to embers. That fire is the fire of socialism. If you live in a large city in California, chances are there's a street that looks like this near your home. Poverty, homelessness, drug use, desecration. This is not what cities in America are supposed to look like. I was born in Los Angeles in the 1980s. This is not the state of my birth. And I'm not the only one who doesn't recognize California today. Millions of people have left this state in my lifetime. What happened? Why California? California has been described as the crown jewel of America. Songwriter Woody Guthrie called it a paradise, a garden of Eden. Pioneers got in wagons and used ox to get here and traveled for years to set foot on her soil. When they got here, it was worth the trip. California was rich in natural beauty, rich in resources, rich in land. A huge and powerful and prosperous state. 1850, statehood for California, and the boom was just getting started. After statehood, California had a gold rush, then an oil boom, then an agricultural boom, then Hollywood and the entertainment industry boomed and changed the world forever. Then, a tech boom. California has not stopped growing. In fact, doubling its population approximately every two decades. Until now. Since 2004, the state of California has seen five million people flee the state. 700,000 California residents left the state just last year. This has led to one of the slowest growths of any state in America. The growth rate for California for the last two decades has been less than 1%. In Los Angeles County alone, they've seen a decline in births by 17%. A recent survey of Californians found that over half the state's residents want to leave this state. For millennials, that number spikes to 63%. The data shows that the vast majority of people wanting to leave California are young people. People who have families, people who are middle to lower income. Why is that? The answer is unanimous. Everything is more expensive in California. Housing costs in California are double the national average. 
The average cost of a home in California will set you back nearly $600,000. Yet the median income in California is $75,000. To afford average rent in Los Angeles, you need to make $50 an hour. The average cost of gasoline in California is a dollar higher per gallon than the national average. So why are things so expensive in California? The answer is really simple. The leadership of this state have prioritized government excess over people. They've crushed businesses with regulations, crushed their citizens with high, high taxes, some of the highest in the country. And that causes people to flee. 60% of Californians say they pay too much in taxes. They're right. California has among the highest taxes in the nation and exact billions in tax revenue from their already struggling residents. The numbers don't lie. Sales tax, 7.25%. Corporate tax, 8.84%. Income tax, 13.3%. These crippling socialist business regulations have led to a mass exodus of businesses from California. 15,000 businesses have fled California. Can you blame them? Regulatory costs for businesses in California average $135,000 a year. Because of this exodus, California has lost a net 3.8 million jobs. That's a tenth of the state's population. Poverty in California is the highest in the U.S. Nearly one out of four Californians live in poverty. California is home to 12% of the country's population, but 34% of the nation's welfare recipients. The downward cycle of poverty in California is directly responsible for the worst homeless crisis in the country. California is home to nearly half of America's homeless population. An estimated 150,000 homeless people live in California, including 10,000 homeless veterans. More tragic still, California leads the nation in unaccompanied young adults experiencing homelessness. There are over 11,000 18 to 24 year olds who are homeless on the streets of California. The California homeless population is equivalent to all of the homeless populations of these states combined. California is proof. The promises made by the socialists of equality, of justice, they're lies. This state has been enacting socialist-style policies for decades. And what has it gotten them? The highest income inequality in the nation. So what's left? You have third world conditions like this. You have multi-million dollar mansions right here, surrounded by mass crippling homelessness. It is truly third world. This is not what America is supposed to look like. But once you've destroyed your middle class and all of your industries, you have a two-class system. The rich get rich, the elite get more elite, and the rest of us get burnt. The fire of socialism will come for all of us, burn all of us. And once this fire is lit, it's damn near impossible to put it out. It'll burn everything. California is burning. So what happens when there's nowhere to go? When America is a socialist country, a country on fire. I get up in the evening, and I ain't got nothing to say. I come home in the morning, I go to bed feeling the same way. I ain't nothing but tired, man, I'm just tired.
right, so I want to finish up this uh, announcement for this fundraiser for Tamika Hamilton, uh, who's running for third district Congress against John Garamendi. And again, she was the, the top two vote getters are in the final, the the uh, general election. And uh, and so Sean Foyt did not win. So we're hosting at Glad Tidings, Church of Glad Tidings. That's in Yuba City, just north of the city at 1179 Eager Road in uh, Yuba City. And this fundraiser for Tamika Hamilton is unique because uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who has become a probably world-renowned, he was born in India, but uh, is a very conservative and sort of become one of the conservative spokespeople in America. He's written books. He's done films. He has a film coming out right now. Uh, I think it's coming out. It won't be out by the time we have this fundraiser, but it's coming out in September, I believe. And uh, he's the one who produced the film on Obama, and then Obama had him arrested. Do you remember that? And he actually went to jail. So Dinesh, Dinesh D'Souza will be there speaking at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So Saturday, a lot of times people say, oh, I can't, I don't go out at night, or, oh, I do a lot of things, you know, I go out on dates on Saturday, you know, people are busy, Saturday nights are busy, but uh, this is a 2 p.m. gig, uh, probably be an hour or two long, or maybe, I don't know how long it's going to be, but we're not going to show his film, we're just going to, he's going to speak, now, I would rather have him speak, and I could see the film anytime, uh, most of the time, you're never going to meet somebody like Dinesh D'Souza for the average person like me. So I'm looking forward to it. And it's a fundraiser. I think it's a $75 fundraiser. That's a little stiff for a lot of the average folks around the area. But but I would just do the best you can, and we'll jam you in there. And uh, if you have any questions as we get towards the date, you can either call me, 713-1838-530, area code, or you could call the Church of Glad Tidings at 530-671-3160, 530-671-3160. Now listen, we, <laughs> our founding fathers uh, th- thought it, I-, I can't find the word right now, to describe how incredibly important our founding fathers believed it was to pick the right people for office. And uh, I won't get sidetracked on whether they thought they should be, get any pay for it, but they, they felt that many, they said they wanted people, they didn't think people that didn't believe in God were sound-minded enough to be in office. Hold that thought. Uh, they thought they were not of sound mind if they didn't, that they believed that somehow they evolved to get here. So they believe people need to be people of virtue, honest people, people of good report in the community, not perverts, not thieves, not violent people, not uh, crazy people, uh, not thieves, uh, and certainly not people that, uh, that would not support the Constitution. So I think this Tamika Hamilton will be a good representative. John Garamendi's horrible, and uh, we cannot – we're not going to beat him unless we beat him. If you, we're not, we're never going to beat somebody when you don't put any effort into it. If you just sit back and hope to beat somebody, that ain't going to get it done. Neither does it get the lawn mowed. So uh, come out and if you want to hear Dinesh D'Souza, I love listening to Dinesh D'Souza. 
I love listening to his. I use a lot of his YouTube clips, as you can see on the uh, radio here on the podcast. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to say before I said everything else, which I have, mo- I always have more than I'm, I'm always, I'm an over-preparer. So a guy sent me, um, he is my, uh, crap app correspondent, Eddie, Eddie, the crap app correspondent. He sent me an email and he said that, uh, he said, you won't believe, he said, have you seen this? You won't believe it. And I actually, I regret clipping, clicking on it because it was a video. I am not a sissy. Uh, I used to hunt when I was younger, uh, and kill birds, ducks, things like that. I used to do some hunting with my father. I just grew up that way. Eventually I just couldn't do that anymore. And I just like to look at things, living things. Right. And, uh, so, uh, I mean, I still have guns. If I had to shoot somebody, I, I wouldn't bat an eye. I mean, I wouldn't be happy about it, but I, I, uh, some people just need to be going to eternity and sort things out there. Uh, but when I saw this clip, I, I, uh, I, I had to turn it off. And, uh, what it was, was, and you'll, it's, it's all over right now. In New York, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter was having a demonstration and um, cars were all backed up. People were screaming on the streets and somehow a raccoon, a, just a regular raccoon, but we have tons of in, around my community and they're they're wonderful. In fact, I used to have a adult a young adult Bible study out in the, near the Sutter Buttes right in the middle of a rice field where some people had their house and their uh, operation. They were rice farmers. And that the, the name was the uh, Warren Riley, Warren and Dolores Riley. They used to host it. And uh, so they have a lot of wildlife out there. And one night, uh, Warren, uh, in in the, the Bible study, he opened the door and a raccoon walked in, a live raccoon. And, uh, and he had made a pet of this raccoon because there's raccoons all over out there. And the raccoon would just, as we were in the Bible study, the raccoon would just meander around, climb up on people. And uh, he used to feed it scrambled eggs and uh, grapes and stuff like that. Well, anyway, when I clicked on my crap app, Eddie, on his email, it showed this Black Lives Matter demonstration. And it showed under this car, you could see an animal was under the car. And uh, they were, everybody's yelling, hey, 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 there's an animal in the car. And it was a raccoon. And they're just cute as can be, of course. And so the the car ended up running over the raccoon, but it didn't kill it. And the raccoon was very much alive and on the move and panicked, as you would imagine. And these uh, Black Lives Matter demonstrators uh, proceeded, instead of like wishing the creature well, Right. And hoping it gets out of the way of the rest of the cars like we do when dogs run out in the middle of the street. They beat it to death right there in front of God and everybody. They beat this raccoon to death as it's quivered and and tried to run, but was paralyzed and uh, shaking and went into like a fit and just kept beating it and beating it and beating it and screaming. And everybody was howling and laughing and I thought, you know something? Uh, those people need to be shot. And I would be happy to shoot one of them. I don't know who they are, but I wouldn't hesitate for a second to shoot one of them or shoot the bunch of them. And uh, it just made me sick to my stomach. And I thought, those people 
there's something wrong with those people. It's one thing to believe a different set of political beliefs. It's another thing when you are uh, abuse and uh, I, I just don't know what words to use for this, what they did. It was just, uh, it's sickening. And it's, it's, it's affected me. And I don't know whether I'm going to get over it. It's uh, really affected me. It just pissed me off. And uh, if you see it come across, I wouldn't bother looking at it because it is the most cruel and the most weird thing I've seen humans do in a while. So I wanted to bring that up and just get it out there. If you haven't looked at it and watching animals tortured, if that bugs you, I would skip it and just trust me at what I just said. I'm telling you the gospel truth. Now, the other thing that I just saw sent to me by my good friend, Connie Walsack, who lives in Yuba County, and I met her in a fight, and we've been in a fight ever since, not with one another, but we end up, she actually solicits me to fight with her on against other people. We started in a fight against Cal Water, and then uh, when then we got into a fight against raising taxes in the city of Marysville, then we got into a fight against taxes raising taxes in the county of Yuba. So right now our tax uh, fighting of Major, we beat Major C, which in the city of Marysville, we beat that once, then we lost it the second time. Major K, we uh, we got outvoted, but the but the uh, measure was illegal. And Judge Stephen Barrier, uh, Superior Court Judge, County of Yuba, just said, said this measure is invalidated because you needed two-thirds of the population to, of the voters to vote for it, and you only got 53%. So instead of the, uh, instead of the uh, county supervisors, five county supervisors deciding, okay, okay, we blew it. Why don't we just put another issue on the ballot? We blew it. Uh, we'll trust Steve Barrier. He's a good guy. They appealed it. And now it's in the appellate court and we're waiting for the decision or we're waiting for it to be tried out down there. All the briefs have been filed, etc. So why am I talking about it tonight? Uh, the reason I'm talking about it tonight is that uh, there was just a uh, uh, a filing or a ruling against Los Angeles, and it's and it's related to measures like our Measure K, which was to raise the sales tax from the state level, which is seven point two five percent, I think, at that time, to add a percent onto that. And when you do that at the local level, then the local people get to keep all one percent, the extra one percent, all stays local. And so uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to spend all night on explaining Measure K again on why it was illegal and stuff, but. One of the, the things that we argued, besides it being invalidated, because it, it was described as a special tax, and, and they, but they wanted to vote for a general tax. And uh, so that's what Stephen Barrier said. You needed more votes because you wanted to use it just for a special thing like public safety, which we're all for public safety, but we didn't want to pay more for it. And so, but the other thing that they did that nobody is bringing up throughout the state, when I say nobody, I don't mean exactly not any one person, but hardly anybody, because most people don't know these things. They, you know, they're busy. So what the U.S., 
what the a state constitution says is very simple. It says that you have free speech. It also says that in the U.S. Constitution. But it describes speech as more than just what you say. It's actually how you spend your money or how your money is used is also a part of your speech. You know something? If you say, I am not going to, I heard Goodyear tires just came out against the police. So President Trump said, he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do business with Goodyear tires. Well, that's his free speech, right? You can say, oh, I don't like Goodyear tires. Or you can decide, well, I'm looking for a set of tires, and you may never even speak to a Goodyear person, but when you look at the selection of tires, you say, oh, there's Dunlaps, and there's Michelin, and there's Continental, or you know all the different tires. And you think, oh, there's Goodyear, and Goodyear may even be the best price, but you think, I'm not going to buy Goodyear because they're anti-police. So that's your free speech by choosing to use Brand X tires, right? free speech. So the Constitution of California says <clears throat> that when the when you pay your taxes and the taxes are taken by the state that they are forbidden by the Constitution to take your money that you paid in tax to turn around and lobby you by paying public relations people and putting up campaign signs and sending you flyers paid by, by your own tax dollars. They're forbidden from doing that to solicit more taxes from you. So they can't use your tax dollars to get more taxes from you. That's a violation of your free speech because you did not give them the right to do that. You see? But any law that has no enforcement is no law. Any law that has no enforcement is no law at all. So uh, the interesting thing is so uh, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association sent out this uh, news release that says the Fair Political Practices Commission, more commonly known as the FPPC, which I used to think naively was a really powerful state organization, that they were the watchdogs and they made sure elections went right and they made sure people filed their campaign finance reports right and they made sure that you didn't say anything improper and they made sure that ads started and stopped and signs started and stopped and signs could do this and couldn't do this. They had all these rules. And I thought, man, uh Oh, somebody's going to get a fine from the FPPC. Well, I learned that they have lots of rules, but no enforcement at the FPPC. And what they told me, because uh, I wrote them a letter and they said, well, we just, you know, the district attorney is supposed when they violate FPP saw PPC laws, campaign finance laws and different laws of campaigning. The local district attorney is supposed to enforce those laws. Well, that hasn't been being done. And so um, in L.A. County. Uh, which I'm trying to find. I don't want to read through the whole thing here. Let me just get over. Dan Walters also wrote an article about this. So in L.A. County, they did a proposition or measure called H. And uh, in fact, uh, Dan Walters says California's local officials routinely use taxpayer dollars for ballot measures, even though it's illegal. 
One agency just got fined, he said. Four of the 12 measures on California's November ballot were placed there by the legislature. Let's assume that legislatures, legislators, had also appropriated $100 million in taxpayers' money for the campaigns to persuade voters to approve the four measures. It would have been an outrageous and likely illegal misappropriation of public funds under several laws. In other words, they say, we're going to put four four items on the ballot, to de- and you decide whether you want to do that or not. But we're going to take $100 million of your money, and we're going to lobby you to vote the way we want. That's what he's saying is outrageous. So Walter says, using public funds to pass ballot measures is illegal at the local level as well as at the state level. Government Section 54964, for instance, declares an officer, employee, or consultant of a local agency may not spend or authorize the spending of any of the funds of the local agency to support or oppose the approval or rejection of a ballot measure or the election or defeat of a candidate by the voters. Nevertheless, he says, as California's city, county, and special district officials place measures on their local ballots, particularly bond measures and tax measures, they often spend countless millions of taxpayer dollars on lavish information campaigns that don't even pretend to be neutral. Now, that's exactly what happened in Yuba County, and we stated that from the very beginning And Howard Jarvis stated it, that they were violating the Constitution. They not only wrote the ordinance wrong, but they were using our tax dollars to pay for public relations people and campaign signs and fancy brochures and all this kind of stuff. So... So Dan Walter says they hire professional campaign management firms to conduct advanced polling, which they did in in here. They did all these advanced. They called them surveys. These people and we think, oh, you know, Sacramento's corrupt. The federal government's corrupt. State people are corrupt. But our oh, oh, Ed and Bobby and Susie over here at the city council, they're not corrupt. They are corrupt. Our supervisors are corrupt. Just C-O-R-R-U-P-T. They are corrupt, and they're, they did illegal acts. Here's exactly what they did. Dan Walters tells it. They hire professional campaign management firms to conduct advanced polling, draft measures wording in positive terms, and then generate radio and television spots, mail appeals, and other forms of political propaganda to persuade voters to approve the measures. That's contrary. You can read the section right out of the Constitution of California. These blatant uses, he says, of taxpayer money for political purposes draw criticism and formal complaints from those opposed to the let targeted measures. Now, do you think why don't you think that the uh, the district attorney would do something about this? You know why? Because he was already compromised. He was one of the proponents that was pushing the tax mayors measures, and he actually was involved in the illegal activity. You think, oh, Pat McGrath, we know Pat. He's a nice guy. No, he's a corrupt person. He knew it was illegal all along. When you know something, it's one thing if you're stupid. Stupid people get a little pass. Ignorant people get a little pass, right? Oh, I didn't know that sign was there. You couldn't park there. Oh, the last time I was here, it didn't have a stop sign there. That that stop sign. Oh, I'm not from California. I didn't know I couldn't turn right, uh, right here on a red. Right. Ignorance. Right. Stupidity. Ignorance. Sometimes you'll get a pass. But the district attorney, he knew damn well what he was doing. 
That's conspiracy. That's corrupt. That's being illegal. He says, but local prosecutors routinely refuse to go after their fellow politicians for violating government code section 54964 and other laws. I'll be right back. We're going to take our second break and uh, listen to these clips. I'll be right back. I just want to get a swig or something. Keep your hands to yourself. I'm Native American, but I don't go around saying, I'm Native American. No, I say, I'm American. I am an American. Okay? You don't hear people saying, I'm Irish American. I'm German American. I'm Swedish. No, they say, I'm an American. America, okay? If you follow the Constitution, love the flag, love our veterans who died and risked their lives for your freedom, you are an American. If you follow the Constitution, you're an American. But if you burn the flag, if you hurt innocent people, you destroy memorials, you destroy historical monuments, you're a terrorist, not an American. People who follow the Constitution, those are my fellow brothers and sisters. We're Americans. You, you're a terrorist. You don't deserve the freedom of this country if you do those kind of things. 15 million people work in a restaurant business, okay? Half of all adults at what point, at one point, worked at a restaurant. I did. Obviously, you're in it. One third of Americans' first job was at a restaurant. 10% of nation's workforce is employed at a restaurant. This is not a small number. You said a trillion dollars, $900 billion to uh, uh, be exact. It's a very big number we're talking about. My question for you becomes, who takes the biggest hit? Say the $120 billion doesn't go out. Forget the $120 billion. Doesn't pass. It's not going out. Andrew, who takes the biggest hit? Customers, servers, owners, food suppliers, uh, America. Who, who ends up taking the biggest hit in this industry, in this situation? Uh, America does. And, and I'll tell you why. And I think that owners, uh, owners almost last. And, and let me talk about that first. Um, there are a lot of owners in the restaurant business that have other businesses, their corporate restaurants, chain restaurants, investment groups, et cetera, they're going to find other projects. Obviously the independent restaurant owner, the, you know, you and I are partners. I'm in the kitchen. You're in the front of the house. We put our life savings in. That was 15 years ago. We've made money. We've raised kids. We have a catering business. We got, we have a nice thing going. We've got lots of employees and we are a stalwart in the community, right? Cause remember restaurants, are the ones that are giving, everywhere, right? Owners like us would be hit hard. And then so would the rest of America. And let me explain that. You cited a lot of uh, really great statistics uh, there that are super, super important for people to remember. Restaurants are also the number one employer of returning citizens coming out of jails and institutions, number one employer of single mothers, one of the top two employers of immigrants. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. As I said before, the only industry bigger than restaurants is the pen, is the U.S. government. So what does that mean? Well, unlike airlines, unlike cruise ship industries, unlike banks, unlike you know a lot of other businesses that hold on to vast amounts of money, the restaurant industry averages 93% pass-through. Essentially, we keep seven cents of every dollar. And of that seven cents, 
two and a half cents of every dollar usually goes back into employee subsidy programs like uh, paid sick leave to workers and, and things like that, as restaurants have begun to see the importance of this. So when these restaurants go, you know who goes along with it? All of those winemakers, all of those clam boats, all the fishermen, all the people who are raising chickens and ducks that have been sold into restaurants, the restaurant boom, especially the independent restaurant boom of the last 20 years has created communities of producers, suppliers, the napkin vendors. I mean, you name it, it affects it. Then there's the money going out the backside. Since we're the second largest employer in America collectively, think of the economic drain. All those people on unemployment, all those people without health insurance, right? All of those people uh, that are going to put a strain on different segments of our economy. The if, if I am not an economist, but the ones that I speak to when I start to have this conversation with them, look at me and, and basically tell me that we're looking at an apocalyptic event. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that I believe a certain industry should go out of business willingly, but I'm just going to draw a comparison. If an airline went bankrupt, one of 20 you know, domestic carriers in here, others would step into the void, right? That's not the case with restaurants, right? When if, if they're going to go, we're going to go in a massive number because we're all in the exact same economic constraints. And so you're looking at something that will affect Main Street USA. We pay so much in taxes. Remember, cruise ships got backstopped. They don't they pay like one and a half percent in American taxes because all of them have figured out a way to, to be offshore companies. Um, it, it, we collect liquor taxes, pay sales taxes. We we are the backbone of tourism. Nobody goes to San Francisco to get a sandwich at Panera. You go to San Francisco to eat at the great restaurants or New York. When I travel to Omaha, I, I, I'm going and I'm trying to figure out what the best restaurant is there. So the, the bottom line is there's so many indus- industries codependent and woven within it. You're looking, and, and while you cited this trillion-dollar industry uh, number, it's really multiple trillions of dollars when you add on hotels, hospitality, all the farm workers, et cetera. And you start to get up to about 50 million people uh, that the food and hospitality system employs. And I'm afraid of the ripple effect for $120 billion, a, which I know sounds like a lot of money, is a very small price to pay to avoid the multiple trillion dollar problem that we would face if those restaurants went under. All right, so we're talking about local entities, agencies, city councils, boards of supervisors, and on up. They cannot, by California constitutional law, take our tax dollars and lobby against us to take more of our tax dollars. And that's what these measures and propositions are doing. And so the uh, last week... County officials uh, agreed 
to a settlement, L.A. County officials, with the FPPC to pay the FPPC $1.35 million penalty. You get that? This is a first. Measure H passed with nearly 70% 70 of the vote. It's now estimated uh, is now raising $355 million a year for 10 years to deal with the counties out of it, they're dealing with a homeless crisis, but the way they went about it was illegal. And so people challenged that of taking their own money. And so the FPPC is, is finding them $1.35 million. Now, without spending the whole night on this, that's exactly what the supervisors did with Major K, and they lied through their teeth. Robert Bendor lied through his teeth all the way through it. His campaign gal, uh, I can't even remember her name. She's the, uh, what's her name? Martin. Is that her name? I don't know what her name is. Anyway, uh, she she mishandled the entire campaign. Uh, she lied, and I know she didn't do it on her own because Robert Bendorf wouldn't allow her to do it on her own. He would have to approve that. And uh, but they they deceived the public continually through the entire campaign, stole stole our tax money against against the law. Listen, these people have attorneys. They have a whole bank of attorneys over there in Yuba County that works for the county. That's all they do is make sure that everything is legal that they do. The attorneys, by the way, right in the middle of this whole thing, their uh, county council, they call her or him. In this case, it's a her. She resigns right in the middle of the campaign and says, oh, it's for family purposes. Now, this gal probably never made as much money as she's making and not working that hard for county council. And she bailed right in the middle of it. Uh, I would love to find out the inside story on all of this, but uh, these people are too decept- deceptive to to uh, to be out front about this. But this is a breakthrough for the FPPC where they finally are actually going to hold some people accountable. Now, do you think it's going to hurt L.A.? They're, they're collecting $355 million a year for 10 years. Do you think they care? No. Now, that's that's the problem. For instance, right now, even though the the Major K was invalidated uh, by uh, the Superior Court Judge Stephen Barrier, they are still collecting the money until it's invalidated again, until they quit. Major, Major K people quit and say, OK, we give up. Then it stops. Or this appellate court says uh, you can't you can't charge us money. So essentially, at this point. The county of Yuba, it's an illegal tax. This is how corrupt this is. They pass an illegal tax, and they get to con- con- uh, take the money, even though it's wrong, and they've collected over $5.6 million. And it's just been a, a year and a half or so. $5.6 million. And you know what's going to happen if they invalidate it at the appellate level? In other words, they say it's wrong. And the county of Yuba said, okay, we quit. We're just going to go. We'll go back and redesign another measure and put on the ballot. You know who gets to keep the money? Yuba County gets to keep it. Is that corrupt or what? And I've said it over and over. It's like somebody comes into your house, does a home invasion, steals all your stuff. They get caught. They're found guilty. They get sentenced, but then they get to keep all your stuff as a part of the sentence. That's what this is. 
to- is this corrupt or what? So that's what's going on. It's going on all over California and city after city, county after county has been ripped off. If any of you people are fighting uh, tax issues where they want to raise your local tax, look at your constitution. And if you have any kind of taxing authorities like uh, Taxpayers Association or something like that, do the research. And I bet there are laws to forbid the local government agency or entity from using your money uh, to uh, to lobby against you, to win a campaign against you. So I want to uh, uh, let me let me find this. Come on. OK, here we go. So I got a letter today uh, or whenever it came in. I just saw it today from a lady, a listener in Chico, California. And um, so she just she used to listen to me on the radio, but then I not on the radio. And it's been for some people, it's more difficult to find a podcast. So she stumbled across podcast number 72, which talked about the mask Nazi. And um, so she wrote me about it. And I guess she used to read the territorial dispatch, which I don't know whether it's delivered up into Chico. Uh, So for if, if you're listening uh, today, uh, Juanita, you can, uh, you can go to my website at nohostagesradio.com and you can look at my territorial dispatch articles, uh, right there without getting the paper, or you can look at the paper online at territorialdispatch.com and you don't need the hard copy if that's what you've been looking for, but you can look at all my articles for the last 72 weeks. Uh, online at nohostagesradio.com. So she says uh, she uh, that my friend helped her uh, find my column uh, in the dispatch and in your radio show. And any, anyway, when she found it, then I was off. Things change. So she says, so right now I'm listening to episode 72, Mask Nazis. And she said, I've been wearing my mask because I'm afraid I'll get kicked out of the local grocery store. I'm a small store, a small store near our house says they are afraid of being fined. I've been uh, staying home a lot. Everyone in my family is depressed by this whole thing. But she said today, after listening to episode 72, I feel stronger. I'm not wearing the mask inside anymore. Of course, given the air quality, I'm wearing uh, and in 95 because of the smoke right now, you can't hardly see across the street. If you're from out of state, the smoke here, uh, you wouldn't believe it. It's like fog. And so she's wearing the N95 when I have to go outside. Uh, I'm a, and anyway, I won't go on to all the details, but she said, I'm just going to walk and leave my grocery cart standing. Uh, Anyway, if they throw me out of the store, it, she's saying what she'll do if they'll throw her out of the store. She's saying, I'm going to take I'm going to take a stand on the mask. Uh, so, and then she talked about how stupid the, the bag thing. Remember a few years ago when they said, we're, we're ruining the entire environment because when you go to the grocery store, they give you a choice of plastic or paper bags and they don't charge you for them and you can get whatever you want. So they said, you need to bring your own bags or you're going to have to pay for them. So a lot of people start bringing their own bags, right? But the bags reused over and over and stuff spills in them and they sit on the ground. And so maybe they sit on an old turd and then they then they get then you sit your bag up on the counter and then it, it spreads germs. So when this covid thing happened, 
somebody thought it through and said, hey, we're spreading germs by using all these used filthy bags. And so they said, you can't bring those bags back in the store. And now we're back to using the old single-use plastic bags. You ever see you see those again? And and the paper bags, which – and so – but now we're getting charged for them, right? So she said stupid liberalism. Anyway, Juanita, it's good to have you. Uh, thanks for the letter. And I just want to say to you that I've been driving around the Yuba Sutter area, and, and uh, the socialists are getting their butts kicked because people aren't wearing masks like they used to. And it's interesting, you know, somehow COVID – uh, it was living better in sanitary interiors. Interior means the inside for you and Linda and all of us. In sanitary interiors than the exteriors. So out on the sidewalk of a restaurant where people pee and poop and birds pee and poop, that's somehow cleaner to the COVID health officers than being inside. Now, right now, it's 106, 108 out here and if you stay out very long and you had black a black shirt on, it would be speckled because there is ash falling out of the sky. So right now your food would be ash covered. You could you'd be sweat hogging it. And probably somebody peed where you're sitting last night because of all the homeless people. And somehow the we're more afraid of the common cold which they call COVID which now the CDC said is very hard to transmit from one another, and, and, and it's not going to kill you, the average person, unless you're destined to die in 2020. If it's your year, you're going to die of something, right? I mean, you're liable to swallow a bee and die. So uh, anyway, chuck the mask. Now, I just got a call from a friend of mine who went to the Yuba, Yuba City City Council chambers. Now, this is how stupid this whole thing is. We've been encouraging people at our church to get involved in politics. Find out what's going on. Pay attention to your city council. See who's making decisions. What are the decisions? How are we spending money? What's going on? Check it. Go to the city council meetings. Go to the supervisor meetings. So one of the guys took it seriously. He's a, he's a heating and air guy. So so he, he looks up on the Internet. He thought, I don't even know when the city council meets. So he looks up on the website, and it says, oh, the city council meets this day and that day each each month. And it starts at 6, and it's over here. It doesn't say anything about you can't go there. It doesn't say anything about go on Zoom. It doesn't say anything about we're only doing virtual. It just says this is where it is. Go get them. And open to the public. And uh, so he has his son with him. So he goes to the uh, city council meeting, and uh, as and, and the door's wide open. He just walks right in, walks all the way in to where the city council is having a meeting, and they are sitting in there. Some have masks. Some do not. There's a couple people sitting around in the audience chairs, uh, but prob- they're probably government people. But anyway, they get talked to, and they 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 have them come outside, and they say you can't come in here. And you know, I don't want to waste my whole time on. It. I'm just going to tell you how this crazy this is. So he, he says, "Hey, I have a right to be in there. This is ridiculous. The COVID thing's crazy. Nobody's getting sick because of coming to a city council meeting. You can go to Home Depot, Walmart. You know, he made his argument. I'm just I'm just hypothetically bringing his argument up." So he takes his son home, and he thought, he thinks, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go back to the meeting. So he goes back in there, goes back in the meeting, and finally he refuses to leave. 
He's not creating a disturbance. He's just listening to the meeting. But they say, you cannot be in here. And uh, and then at, at one time, they asked him if he had a mask. He said, no, I don't have a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. I didn't come with a mask. You don't need a mask. It's stupid, the mask. He didn't say that. I'm saying that. So he sits down in the meeting, and they ask him to come outside once more, and they cuff him. They arrest him, and they haul him down to the police station, and they they book him, and then they release him. So he walks several blocks back to where his car is, and he goes home. So he got arrested because he's trying to show the stupidity. He didn't He didn't stand up, scream, cuss, throw stuff, piss on the floor. He just said this. He, he said to the, the guys that are saying you can't stay in here. In fact, the, the, the guy chairing the meeting is a former CHP officer. And he he took a recess and called all the guards back and then basically said, arrest the dude, probably. Anyway, they arrested him. Now, it's interesting because we're now arresting people for attending a city council meeting and not disturbing it, but city council meeting because he isn't complying with the COVID rules. But neither is the city council because not everybody's how they even had a mask on. Why wouldn't they have a mask on if they really scared? They were scared to death for their life. COVID was scaring the hell out of them. The fact is, we're all playing a big socialist game here now. Uh, We're jumping through all these hoops that we know are stupid. We're playing the emperor has no clothes on. And we have this little little, uh, health officer that's lecturing us on YouTube who can't find her ass with both hands uh, in, in terms of this. She just following the rules of the state. And she doesn't she doesn't understand you're not supposed to quarantine healthy people, but she's following the rules, the communist rules, which doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. You just follow them. And it, and you can see how easy people fall into communism, because basically in the airports I just flew through, I flew through four airports two weeks ago to get back and forth to Boise. I went to four airports and I was the only person in the all four airports. Now, there's thousands of people in there. I was walking by people waiting for planes, getting on planes, getting off planes. Everybody had a mask on but me. If that isn't pretty much total compliance, whether people believe in it or not, that is amazing. But right now in, in Yuba Sutter, uh, we have our leaders. We are not led by the, the governor of California. We are led by city council people. If you live in the city. And we are led by supervisors. Those supervisors, the city council and the sheriff of the county who is elected and has just as much powerful as even the governor. He could tell the governor to go fly a kite. All they have to say is we're, we're going to stay open. And you're not for Orange County supervisors said we're not wearing we're not mandating anybody wear a mask. And so they just ended up arresting my friend for. He said, what, what are you arresting me for? He, he, he said, he, he told him, he said, I'm not going to leave the city council meeting. I have a right to be here. I'm a citizen. I pay taxes here. I'm a citizen. This is an open meeting. This is part of America. They said, you can't be here. And they said, uh, we're going to arrest you for, uh, uh, what are they going to arrest him for? Trespassing. They're going to arrest him for trespassing. That was one of the charges and resisting arrest. So I guess if you uh, he told him he wanted to be arrested, if that's what they want to do. He said, I'm not going to leave. Just go ahead and arrest me. So anyway, arrest resisting 
and trespassing. It's interesting. Trespassing on what? If it's government property, it's our property, right? Who is the government? Who owns the government? Is it those five city council people? And it's amazing the power that they exert. The next time you're going to vote for a city council person, I want you to think about if if you'll trust them to not arrest you if you're if you're exercising your constitutional rights. There's no reason they couldn't have just let that dude sit there. Now, again, I wasn't there. The city council may say, "Oh, Lou, I listened to your talk, and you didn't, you didn't get the story quite right." Let me let me let me put it in another way. The city council chambers are open. It does not have anything to say. In other words, the doors are not locked. The city council, the meetings are doesn't even state online that they're closed or or this is how to go to Zoom. Let me tell you something. Let me say it another way. The very fact that you got a that a lot of people don't even have access to the internet, don't have a a, a proper hookup to internet to get on to to watch those meetings, or they don't have the Zoom system, they don't they don't know how to do that. That is, uh, that is usurping their constitutional rights. Do you think they're going to agree with me down there? They don't agree with me because they don't care about your constitutional rights. And they're the same people that will complain, oh, nobody comes to our city council. If you just show up, why don't you show up at our city council? You don't know much, you know, right? But they don't even want to be on the city council unless you pay them or the board of supervisors. Anyway, uh, it's interesting, and so he has a court date, I think, on the 28th of this month uh, to to figure out what they're going to do about him. Uh, he trespassed into a city council meeting. That That's one of his deals. And I don't know how he resisted arrest because he offered himself up to be arrested. It's like Jesus. Jesus resisted going to the cross. No, he, he offered himself up. They crucified him, but he didn't fight it, right? He didn't fight it. And I don't think my friend fought anybody. He didn't cause anybody any problems. He just he just wanted to exercise his constitutional rights and show that this COVID thing, there's something else going on here, people. It ain't about sickness. Have you sorted that out yet? It's not about sickness. It's about changing the rules in our free society. And they're taking your freedom from you. So that's that's what's shaking here. Bad news, people. So uh, Juanita, I hope you listen, and I hope I encourage you. And what I do is I go to stores. I went to uh, a coffee place the other day, and I I went. In fact, I went to Starbucks. Normally, I never shop at Starbucks anymore, but I couldn't find any other place, and I wanted something cold to drink. And it was late at night, and I went in, and the gal says I went up to the counter and to order, and uh, she said you got to wear a mask. I said ain't going to wear a mask. She said can't serve you. I said see you later. Last time coming, have a happy. And so I just dropped a guy off at a drug rehab today in Chico. And uh, the guy said, oh, I need to have you a mask. I said, got all the respect in the world for you working here in this drug rehab, but I'm not I'm not doing no mask. So you want me to stand outside and wait till you take his pee and see if he's good to go? And he said, oh, no, just sit down. You're good. So uh, we'll see. You got to test him, but you got to take a stand. And uh, so you can just I when I went to my my one of I I shop at a few different stores depending on where I am in town. So I was at Food Max out in Linda and uh, it's near my house. 
So when I went out there and they had these big signs on the door, this health officer said, you got to wear a mask. So I asked this guy, he's a lot, lot jockey, uh, pulling in the carts, stacking them up and moving them. And I said, hey, they're going to throw me out of there if I don't have a mask. I said, no, man, go and shop. So I just walked in there and did my thing. So what you need to do is just throw those masks in the garbage. Those masks are damaging your health, Juanita. So don't wear it. I don't know how old you are, but but uh, don't shorten your life uh, because of a bunch of liars with this COVID. All right, we're going to come right back, and we're going to do another half of this show. And uh, thanks for listening. shotguns on my home they're locked in a safe there's a metal gun case we live in an area that's wooded somewhat secluded and i said jill if there's ever a problem just walk out on the balcony and fire two blasts outside the house by shotgun by shotgun you don't need machine gun you don't need 30 rounds. Buy a shotgun. Buy a double barrel shotgun. No, you don't need a flamethrower. And you don't need a tank. And you, you don't, don't need an AR-15 to scare those thugs away. No, and I don't need a grenade launcher. I don't need an F-15. There's just one thing I need to do. And they'll stay away from me. Fire to blast outside the house. Buy a shotgun, buy a shotgun, buy a shotgun, baby. You don't need a machine gun, you don't need 30 rounds. Buy a shotgun, buy a double-barrel shotgun. Fire two blasts outside the house. Buy a shotgun, buy a shotgun. You don't need a machine gun, you don't need 30 rounds. Buy a shotgun. If there's something that, of this importance that's come out, this is where an RNA vaccine comes in. And nobody's talking about it. The media's not talking about it. Which becomes possible when you have the virus's genetic sequence. Then you have to ask yourself, is why are they not covering something so critical as what I discussed? Basically, we have our genetic code that's encased in this double helix strand, what we call the DNA. And then there's another component that helps to rewrite that DNA called RNA. Viruses are fragments of this genetic code of DNA and RNA. These DNA and RNA fragments get back into the cell, get incorporated within our DNA structure and rewrite certain parts of the DNA in order to help us adapt to our environment and to adjust to environmental triggers. Now. Viruses exist inside our cells, and if it wasn't for viruses, the human system would no longer have survived the planet, because viruses are how we evolve. Because viruses, these DNA and RNA fragments, get back into the cell, get incorporated within our DNA structure, and rewrite certain parts of the DNA in order to help us adapt to our environment and to adjust to environmental triggers. All right? This is where an RNA vaccine comes in. 
which becomes possible when you have the virus's genetic sequence and you know which genes code for which proteins. Making your cell do the work of creating this viral protein that is going to be recognized by your immune system and trigger um, the development of these antibodies. Now, there's never been an RNA vaccine ever developed. What Moderna is planning and doing is creating this RNA vaccine. This is a company that's never put a vaccine out first. Second, they have never made any product that's been consumed by humans or utilized by humans. Third, they have bypassed all animal testing. RNA vaccine, which will actually introduce RNA fragments into our system. And what that's going to do is it's going to get incorporated inside our DNA and literally rewrite our DNA. It will rewrite our human code, our genetic code. This is basically taking the human system and making it into something else. This is going to generationally be so catastrophic because we have no idea what the implications are. We are talking about rewriting the human genome. Human genetic code will be rewritten by this vaccine because once it goes in there, it's not like just introducing X or Y or Z. It's introducing in something that is going to start replicating and it's going to be like a chain reaction. It's going to be like a domino reaction and it's going to start causing a rewriting of the genetic code within our system. It is going to adulterate and mutate our DNA so that we are not even human anymore. When I say that, I'm not saying it metaphorically. I'm talking about generationally. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to start changing how our systems evolve. Shout out to some of the people that helped me stay on the on the air, as we call it here, air with quotes around it. Um, and that I mentioned his address earlier, Elite Universal Security, Monty Hecker. Monty is a great guy, and uh, been a he's been supporting me for a few years here. And uh, it didn't take a lot of money to do these podcasts, but it takes some. And I I got a really cool friend down in Texas. He used to be out in California, Tanner, who actually makes this sound right. So if it's sometimes when I people say, oh, it sounded really good, Lou. I'd really love that podcast. I said, well, that's because Tanner was involved because he makes all things sound right. Um, and we had problems with my computer system last week. <clears throat> we had some software issues, and, and if it wasn't for him, we would have never got up. But we got on a little late, but uh, we got it up. So Elite Universal Security, Monty Hecker, 5548 Federal Boulevard. If you want some security, and I'm telling you, people are – my next a guy across the street, he was remodeling a house that was destroyed by drug dealers. His name's Miguel. I just met him this afternoon. I've been watching his wonderful work, straightening out this house from top to bottom. And he said, Lou, they broke in here and stole $1,000 worth of my uh, my tools, construction tools, right? And uh, so, you know, obviously you can't be everywhere. Cops can't be everywhere. Uh 
security people can't be everywhere. You know, you, you ask your neighbors, hey, watch my house. I constantly watch that house, and they broke in the back, and obviously I, I wasn't watching when they were there. Thieves, tweakers probably. And uh, so, sorry, tweakers. I don't mean to disrespect you. Maybe they were like heroin addicts. Uh, so heroin addicts, tweakers, you know, crackheads, I don't know which they were, but they broke in. Anyway, um, Money Hacker can help you uh, secure your property. I, I think we need all hands on deck. We need the police. Thank God for them. I, I was working with the police on, on drug issues this week on our, our block, and Chris Sachs from Marysville Police is a huge help to me uh, this week and very responsive. Chris is on it. Uh, he's the chief of police, if I didn't say that correctly. Anyway, uh, Elite Universal Security is also helping. They have their security people around this downtown area of Marysville. They also do farm security, industrial security, government security. They have armed people, unarmed people. They're working the whole north state. I didn't realize that, but all the way up to the end of Oregon and down below Sacramento. So if you want to work for them, they're looking for people. And maybe you've retired and you're bored to death. Uh, you know, I, I'm not planning on retiring. Uh, I like what I'm doing and I'm just going to drop dead doing it and be happy, happy, happy. But some people they're, they don't like what they're doing and, and they want to retire and then they get retired. I ran into one of, in fact, I ran into one of, uh, Monty's workers one day at the courthouse. I was going over there to do something and they had to check me over and I said, Hey, what's going on, Mike? And he, I hadn't seen him since high school almost. And, and he said, oh, Lou, I was retired. And he said, I was just bored to tears. And he said, this gives me something to do. So he's working for Monty. And uh, so if you want a job, dial him up at 530-749-0280, 530-749-0280. And you, you might think, I don't have any idea what I'd even how to even do that. They will teach you. So you can go to uh, his website. He's got a couple websites, api-academy.com, and that shows all his classes he does. And they also do, if you want to get the CCW concealed weapons permit, you want to go that whole thing and you don't want to work for money, but you just want to shoot somebody and you want to do it with a concealed weapon, uh, he'll help you get it. So api-academy.com. Uh, and also EliteUniversalSecurity.com, same 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 business, and he'll hook you up. The other people, and every time I, I, Dave Greenitz and I've known each other for a million years. In fact, I think I met him right after he was born. He although he was walking, he hitchhiked out from uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. His, he had some people back there, and his daughter, his uh, sister, was living out with us. We had a bunch of people living communally, and he hitched. I, got, I think he just was just out of high school, and he became he became. You never know what somebody's going to become. We knew he was a nice guy, and he married a beautiful young girl, and uh, named Leslie. And uh, they got married, and Dave just became one of the. the I, I consider him the premier top remodeler bathroom and kitchen remodel guys in the area and uh we were laughing because we go to the same church and we were laughing because i was kidding him about the his uh bathrooms and they're just amazing and you can go and check them out don't take my word for it you can go to greenitzconstruction.com uh gr it's like the word green the color green plus etz greenitz construction or you can go to dave greenitz construction uh Facebook site, Dave Greenitz Construction. And you can see pictures there of before and afters and the whole thing. But anyway, we were laughing because he said he's backed up all these, got all these jobs lined up, clear up 
for a few months. So um, if you want to wait for the best, you can. And when you when you get it done, you'll say, man, I'm glad I waited. Right. Because some of you have been sitting around a funky old kitchen or a dingy old uh, bathroom that needs to be torn out. And uh, you've been in there and you've been putting up with it for years. And now all of a sudden you say, I want one and you want it tomorrow. So if you want to wait for the best, uh, just get hooked hook up with Dave. If you want to call him, you can, if you're old school, you also want to dial him up. You can go to 530-682-9602, 530-682-9602, and uh, tell him you heard about it on the show. Okay. I want to read you this that a friend sent me, a guy I just met. Uh, he just reached out to me. I guess he found me through the Territorial Dispatch and maybe listened to the podcast, but he sent me this. And he used to work uh, on some of the spy planes and stuff around here. We have a lot of spy planes in our area here that we send all over the world. And I love this. Uh, but, you know, you never know who writes these things, but uh, they has a name on it. But I don't think it's pertinent. It's not a famous person that I know. But I think what he says, I, I if I could write this the way he did, I would write it. It says, it is a fact of life in our country today that there are people who live to be offended. They're called progressives. They are offended by the Confederate statues and the Confederate flag, by monuments that they say celebrate white supremacy and colonialism, by Trump supporters, by Trump himself, and by those who refuse to get on their knees and grovel before Black Lives Matter. Well, I am not one of them, and I've got a big revelation for them. Here are 10 things for for which I will never apologize, and I don't give a sour owl shit if you... If you're offended by any of them, I'm white. Number one, I'm white. I was born white. I don't feel guilty about slavery, segregation, the trail of tears, or the treatment of Chinese railroad workers. Because, now get this, I didn't have one thing to do with any of them. I'm no more responsible for these injustices than the Indian of today is responsible for the black hole of Calcutta. The idea of racial guilt is absurd White privilege and white supremacy is a myth. Where is the white Miss America contest, white history month, white entertainment television? Where are the white only colleges and universities, white only dating sites, white only bars and restaurants? Where are the quotas and set asides for Caucasians? Do we need to address these things? To some degree, yes, but not by rioting tearing down statues, looting and destroying businesses, changing names of sports teams and products. We can and should address these things with civility and dialogue by all concerned. Number two, I love America. I believe in American exceptionalism. America pioneered representative government guided by a written constitution. We fought a war with 620,000 dead to end slavery. We defeated Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan and liberated the death camps. We saved Europe from tyranny twice in the 20th century, and then with American investment, innovation, resourcefulness, and generosity, rebuilt the economies of 17 nations of Europe and the nation of Japan. Our armies kept communism from conquering the world. Our factories and workshops produced a flood of inventions and products that benefited humanity. We built the greatest, most respected medical system in the world and earned more Nobel, Nobel Prizes in medicine than any other nation on earth by a factor of 10. What country has done as much, especially in 244 years, a relatively, a relative hiccup of time? 
Number three, I'm a Christian. I love God and his son, Jesus Christ. I'm proud of my faith, but I do not wear it on my sleeve. I respect all religions. I also believe in the state of Israel. Modern Israel is a miracle and a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Israel is a beleaguered outpost of civilization in a savage region and a bulwark against forces of darkness. The next time your physician gives you a shot of penicillin, look up who discovered the miracle drug. Number four, my heroes include George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Washington and Lincoln were indispensable men. Washington defeated the greatest army on earth and led our country for the first quarter century of its existence. Lincoln saved the Union, abolished slavery, and inspired generations with his rhetoric. The Declaration of Independence flames with the eloquence of Thomas Jefferson, arguably the most intelligent man to ever serve as President of the United States. Andrew Jackson, the hero of the Battle of New Orleans, represented the pioneer spirit. Teddy Roosevelt led the charge into the 20th century, the American century. Together, they gave us a country so free that malcontents like Bernie Sanders, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib can dump on it without fear of reprisal. Indeed, if you listen to all the complaints voiced from all the liberal progressive Democrats and communists like New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, you are hard-pressed to understand why there are so few people leaving our country. Why are they keep coming here? It is harder still to understand why, with all our so-called problems, millions of people from around the world want to come here still. Number five, I support our police. I believe the police officers are generally decent, honorable men and women who are doing a difficult, dangerous, often thankless job. You couldn't pay me enough to do enough today to do it. Besides risking their lives, every time they go to work, they bear the added burden of listening to insults shouted at them by spoiled, ungrateful people, many of whom are wet behind their ears and probably still wearing diapers. Police today have become the punching bag for the nation, and sadly, they receive little or no respect or support from their superiors and the gaggle of incompetent Democrat mayors around the country. And like our military, they are all that stands between us and the abyss. When the Twin Towers were attacked in New York City on 9-11, we were reminded by liberals to not judge all Muslims by the actions of just a few. Yet today, mobs are willing to judge all police by the actions of just a few police. Explain that one to me. Defunding the police because of a few bad apples is just plain stupid because the end result will be more crime. If you find that difficult to comprehend, just check the crime stats for those liberal Democrat-controlled cities like New York, Chicago, Detroit, Minneapolis, L.A., San Francisco, St. Louis, Newark, Trenton, and check out the number of shootings and stabbings on any given weekend. You would think these cities are in a war zone. Number six, I support the Second Amendment, and I own weapons. It's one of the reasons why Japan thought long and hard about attacking us on our homeland. It's a major reason why we'll never have a holocaust here. 
Europe has had the divine right of kings, religious persecution, communism, and Nazism. We have the Second Amendment. The anarchy in our streets, coupled with calls to defund the police, only serve to underscore the need for civilian gun ownership. Number seven, reparations are racial plunder. The idea of racial guilt is an obscenity from the dark recesses of 19th century European history. There's no group in the world that hasn't been oppressed at some point in time. Hello? Will Denmark pay reparations to the English for the Dane law? Will Mongols and Manchus compensate the Chinese? Will Will Japan compensate the Chinese for the rape of Nanjing? How about the English and the Irish, the Mongols and the Russians, the Cossacks and the Jews? Will biracial Barack Obama take money out of one pocket and put it in just another? Number eight, there are only two genders. Deal with it. Gender is determined at birth by your DNA. Just as you can't change your DNA, you can't change your sex. You should not be able to force others to participate in your fantasy. Reality isn't hateful. Number nine, I support President Trump and will vote for him in November 2020. The president loves the country. He really does have Israel's back. Who else is strong enough to stand up against China and Iran? And like most everyone else in Washington, as a businessman, he understands finance and the market economy. He's giving us judges who deliberate instead of legislate. And he has the guts not to be liked. Prior to COVID-19, President Trump built the greatest and most prosperous economy in the world, and he gave power back to the people. He understands that we are a people who happen to have a government, not the other way around. And this American experiment in which government derives its just power from the consent of the government is still the most unique, treasured, and progressive form of government in the history of mankind. Number 10, you have a right to disagree, but you do not have a right to silence me. Being offended doesn't trump the First Amendment. Attacking statues and assaulting those with different values is the kind of thing we saw in Nazi Germany and Stalin's Russia. Generations of Americans died for freedom of speech, not freedom to suppress speech. To say you're offended is merely an attempt to prioritize your feelings above everyone and everything else. It's not an argument, but a call to end discussion, an admission of intellectual impotence. Being offended is, isn't a mark of virtue. It's a sign that you're a big, blubbering baby who will throw a tantrum if you can't get your way. Wagging fingers and shouting obscenities at me is just plain disrespectful and might get you a punch in the nose. Sadly, that is what we see today with liberals and progressives. They do not maintain a dialogue. They respond with insults, attacks, and that is fundamentally because they have not done their homework. They are poorly educated. They lack historical perspective and context and have no inclination or desire to reason. We have the right to disagree. But what I see taking place in our country today is simply not right from any reasonable perspective. Many in politics have lost their sanity for political reasons. I heard AOC state this morning that the riots and looting are taking place because of the pandemic. People don't have food, she said, so they have to riot. Does anyone believe that dribble? For what food were they looking at Dick's Sporting Goods or Macy's or Gucci or Louis Vuitton? 
etc. I may be wrong, but I would bet that the Reverend Martin Luther King is looking down from heaven at all the rioting, looting, black-on-black killing, BLM, and saying to himself, I can't even believe I died for this. Well, I thank my new friend for sending me that because I thought that encouraged me right there. So uh, I wanted to uh, follow that up uh, in a second because I got a couple of minutes and I'll start the new segment. I want to talk about a statue that I don't think is going to get torn down, but there may be a fight over it. And you've probably never heard of this statue. And there's it, it was a statue that was uh, had a replica. They made two of the same kind of statues. They put one in Oklahoma. And they put the, I believe it's Oklahoma, yeah, Ardmore, Oklahoma. And they put the other one in England. And I'm going to tell you about it after our break. But uh, I wanted to just say this. This is just a short thing. To show you the bias of the uh, the media, the Washington Post did these two obituaries. One was for Robert Trump, the younger brother of the president. And one was for Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Okay? This is how they started off Robert Trump's. Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, who filed lawsuit against his niece, dies at 71. I want to say it again. Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, who filed lawsuit against his niece, niece dies at 71. Robert Trump uh, was a fine guy, right? But... They castigated. They they cast him in a negative light there, right? So Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is a terrorist. I believe he's the one who raped that that young humanitarian worker, that female, repeatedly. I think that's him. But other than that, he was a uh, terrorist. He murdered all kinds of people. This is what the obituary said in the Washington Post. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm at the helm of, a, of the Islamist state, dies at 48. That's what they said. You see anything negative about that? That he murdered people, he raped people, right? Tortured people. So, okay, we're going to take a break, and then I'm going to tell you about these statues in just a minute. My fellow Americans, people have been asking me how I feel about the election. How do you paint a man like Donald Trump? There is a man, his name is Trump. He kicked my baby brother's rump. The man we love to hate before we knew ya. But you hung in tough, you took the cake, your strategery to make us great. Misunderstandation never threw ya. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Alleluia, Alleluia. Well, Hillary wanted you to run. You'd never win, but oh, what fun. When you were chosen, she sang, Hallelujah. Your yellow hair, your goofy tan, your two long ties, your two small hands. Still America decided they would choose you. Hallelujah. 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 So raise the flag and ring the bell. Donald won. Ain't that swell? We're all still Americans. That is true, yeah. So wait it out. Give peace a chance. Perhaps we'll all learn how to dance. With one united voice sing hallelujah. 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 You're a good parent. Let's suppose you think it wise to buy a watchdog in order to protect your little girl from any intruders who may wish to do her harm. After a little time, the puppy you bought becomes a full-grown animal. His muscles are fully developed, his teeth are big and sharp, and now he towers over your little girl. You're worried that he is becoming too aggressive, and one day you look out the door and witness your worst fear. You see the dog's jaws are on her neck and blood is on her clothes. As you burst out the front door, she has gotten free and is cowering in the corner of the fence by the tree. The dog is charging across the yard and in a few seconds will be at her throat again. You only have enough time to do what your instincts tell you to do. You get your body, you insert yourself between the dog and the child, between the danger and the daughter. The actions you just chose are defined as interposition. You interposed between the agency that was originally a protector but had become a threat, and a person or persons you have the duty to protect. The doctrine of interposition is as American as apple pie, baseball, and jazz. Interposition is precisely what the Declaration of Independence was all about, and it is precisely what we want our state and local officials to do. Our sheriffs, our police, our local judges, our legislators, and our appointed officials are duty-bound to rush out into the front yard and interpose between the people and the lawless actions of federal government. But what happens when it is no longer the federal government attacking your rights? What if it becomes your governor, who is declaring health emergencies, thereby denying your rights to your own business, health care, commerce, or worship through phony emergency orders? Are these state and local agencies authorized to take such action? No. First of all, the COVID-19 emergency powers exercised by governors are not granted in federal or state constitutions. An easy rule of thumb to discover state and local overreach is this. Civil government derives all its just powers from we the people. We the people can only grant to civil government powers to do things we could do ourselves. We hire them as our servants, delegate to them tasks that we could do. So if I can't steal my neighbor's property, 
prevent him from worshiping, force him to wear a mask, or vandalize his home, neither can civil government. Our safeguard is found in the words of Founding Father Alexander Hamilton. Natural liberty is a gift of the beneficent creator to the whole human race. And that civil liberty is founded in that and cannot be wrested from any people without the most manifest violation of justice. Thankfully, the concept of interposition can work both ways. The local government can protect against an overreaching state or federal government, and state or federal governments can interpose against tyranny on the local level. And we are calling on our sheriffs, police forces, courts, juries, state and federal representatives to identify these violations of justice and stop the mask mandates and prohibition on local gatherings. This is Jake McCauley. And Dominic McCauley. With the Institute on the Constitution, bring you the American View. China steals our jobs. Our technology sickens the world. Now, intelligence reports say China wants to get Joe Biden elected president. Why? Because Joe Biden spent decades coddling China, supporting bad trade deals that closed factories and shipped jobs overseas. As president, Biden would do more of the same. That's why China wants Biden to be president. If Biden wins, China wins and America loses. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. So unless y'all been living under a rock, uh, there's been a new favorite word in 2020. It's called privilege. Let me explain to y'all what privilege really is. You ain't get the definition from anywhere else. You're going to get it right here. Privilege is wearing $200 sneakers when you ain't never had a job. Having $300 beat headphones living on public assistance. Privilege is having a smartphone that you received no bill for. Living in public subsidized housing or you have no water bill when the rise in property costs and rents and energy have absolutely no effect on the amount of food you can put on a table. Privilege is the ability to go march and protest against anything that triggers you and not have to worry about calling out of work or what kind of repercussions that might have on you. Privilege is having as many children as you want, regardless of your employment status. Privilege is sending your kids to school for the before school programs and the breakfast you get and keeping them there for the after school programs at no cost to you. Paid for the people who do have to deal with rising taxes and costs. I've had the privilege of working hard and living a life of obeying the law. I made my own privilege. You know what it's called? It's called hard work. I've got a nice house, a bunch of land, a bunch of toys out there on that land. Ran around with some of the biggest celebrities in country music and did it starting from the back of a dadgum tailgate. Accumulating over 130 million views now, 750,000 social media followers. That took me over 10 years of grinding like there's no tomorrow with the hope that there was a light at the end of that beautiful capitalist tunnel. If you work every day and live within your means, your privilege is going to be your family, what you've earned, that nest egg, enjoying the one-day retirement that you'll have. But I guess what they want to say now is you're privileged if you stayed in school and got a job and worked hard and contributed to society and stayed out of trouble and you weren't a burden to anybody else. That, that means you're privileged now. It's something else, America. The good news is... This will all 
backfire. Mark my words. There it is. That's the real definition of being privileged and you ain't gonna hear it on CNN. statues but first i'm going to uh i got this uh i got two two publications the rifleman which is a american rifleman which is if you're an nra member i think they send this to you i don't think i'm special uh although i i donate more than just a minimum to the nra but this one page called the armed citizen says studies indicate that firearms are used more than 2 million times a year for personal protection and that the presence of a firearm without a shot being fired prevents crime in many instances. Shooting usually can be justified only when crime constitutes an immediate and imminent life to threat limb, to life, limb, or in some cases property. Anyone is free to quote, da-da-da, I want to, okay. So I'm going to read you a couple of these things. These are things people send in on stuff that happened to them. Upon hearing a noise in the downstairs kitchen late in the evening on April 5, a Spokane, Washington homeowner grabbed a shotgun and headed down to investigate. When he f- What he found was an unknown 26-year-old man whom he immediately told to leave. The alleged intruder reportedly approached the homeowner on the stairs, and a struggle began, resulting in one shot being fired into the floor. The armed citizen loaded another round into the shotgun, fired at the attacker who was approaching him again, striking him in the leg, striking the the approaching guy, causing him to flee. The homeowner's wife called 911 to report a burglary in process, and the home invader was found by deputies shortly thereafter with an injury to his leg. After treatment, da-da-da-da. Anyway, he ended up trying to say, well, he thought he was in the, his friend's house. He was a liar. Anyway, the idea is they prevented this guy. Detectives said the homeowners would face no charges, and the 26-year-old would be facing charges of first-degree burglary upon his release from the hospital. Here's another one. Two men reportedly broke into a pumpkin hollow. I love these places. Pumpkin. Wouldn't you love to live? So where do you live? I live in Pumpkin Hollow, Oklahoma. April 24, when they were confronted by the homeowner, two men broke into this Pumpkin Hollow residence when they're confronted by the homeowner who was armed with a shotgun. I like these shotguns. My friend Dave, Dave Bryan, says, Lou, if you want a home prevention gun, needs to be a shotgun. You don't have to have perfect aim. And at close range, even birdshot will take a guy out. So uh, he was armed with a shotgun. The armed citizen fired at the two men who immediately fled. See, so he fired at them. And no indication he even hit them. They fled, right? That's what you want, right? You not necessarily want to kill somebody. The Cherokee County Sheriff's Office said that deputies found a vehicle parked in the residence yard that belonged to one of the two would-be robbers. It was filled with items, stolen items on, from outbuildings on the property, the guy's property. Deputies, with assistance of a, of a dog, were able to track down the two, down the dirt road, where it appeared the suspects met another vehicle. They found... They later found one man matching. Da, da, da. I won't do the whole story. Anyway, they stopped the guys from, from burglary, and they caught the guys. Uh, so good deal. So protect yourself, right? The other night I had a little drama out here, and I loaded up my shotgun. I just had it, I just had it right by the front door, and I thought, don't, don't be coming up to the door, dude. Like 2 in the morning, they were like doing a drug deal outside. 
So uh, P.J. O'Rourke, who used to, I don't know whether he still writes for the American Spectator or not. I got a couple quotes here I'd like to leave with you. This is out of a, oh, you ought to, you got to subscribe to this magazine. I bought subscriptions to a lot of my friends. I bought two-year uh, subscriptions of, of the magazine. It was It was one of the listeners to the radio show back in the day, and he called me up from Chico, Butte County. And he said, Lou, the way you talk on the radio, you need to get this magazine. It's called Range. R-A-N-G-E, range. And uh, it's a lot about the wild, wild west back in the day. But you don't have to be a cowboy. I mean, it's it's uh, I look forward to it every it comes out like every other month. Or every quarter, but it is jam packed full of patriot stuff, uh, how this country got uh, put together. It, it will inspire you every month. It'll, it's it's quality all the way. So I bought a bunch of my friends subscriptions to this, and, and I think I got them two years. And it calls it's called Range: The Cowboy Spirit on Americans Outback. So they have one page in this, one or two pages. It's called Amazing Facts and Quotes, and I'm telling you, it lives up to its title. So P.J. O'Rourke says. At the core of liberalism is the spoiled child, miserable, as all spoiled children are, unsatisfied, demanding, ill-disciplined, despotic, and useless. Liberalism is a philosophy of sniveling brats. That's P.J. O'Rourke. I think P.J. is still alive. He He wrote for the American Spectator, I think, for years. Hannah Arendt. Uh, she died in 1975. She's a German-American philosopher and political theorist. She says bureaucracy is the form. That's what we have. That's that's who's running our country, Bureau, bureaucrats. The deep state, when they say deep state, that's your bureaucrats who are just taking orders from other bureaucrats. Bureaucracy is the form of government in which everybody is deprived of political freedom, of the power to act. For the rule by nobody is not no rule. Let me say that again. For the rule by nobody is not no rule. And we're all equally powerless. And we're all are equally powerless. We have tyranny without a tyrant, right? We don't have a king. We just have this mass bureaucracy where people tell you, you got to wear a mask. Oh, you can't come in here then. And the person doesn't even have a high school education. And and they're probably the guy that's going to spray you with mace if you don't put a mask on. Let me read it to you. Bureaucracy is a form of government in which everybody's deprived of political freedom. Everybody. Uh, it's like my friend who walks into the city council. The, the door's wide open. It's a city council meeting. It doesn't say anything on the Internet. You can't go to it. And they start telling him after he goes in there, he can't be in there because it's a virtual meeting. Unbelievable. Of the Everybody's deprived of the power of act. The power to act for the rule by nobody is not no rule. And where all are equally powerless, we have tyranny without a tyrant, she says. I love this about Upton Sinclair, the American author. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his him not understanding it. I have talked I I have come to this conclusion many times. I thought this guy is never going to agree with me because he's getting paid to not agree with me. 
He may agree with me if he didn't work for these people, but he's going to lose his wage. They're going to fire him if he agrees with me. You get it? It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon him not understanding it. He's being paid by the government to be a bureaucrat to just do stupid stuff. And if he does what I want to do, he will lose his salary. That's what most of these people, they don't have a political um, they don't have a political perspective. They're trying to survive and keep their kid alive and pay the house payment. And so screw you. They'll sell out democracy. They'll sell out the country. They'll sell out uh, the freedom of the United States, the Constitution. They'll sell out everything to just bring bread home. John Adams says, John Adams, second American president, statesman and attorney. Remember, some of the things I'm telling you, some of the things our founding fathers say when you when I say them to a local councilman or supervisor, it's almost like they're from outer space. These people are from outer space. He says, remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. John Adams, second president of the United States. For you Democrats out there. All right. So uh, let's see. Where am I here? Okay. I never knew this. So. um, So I'm just going to read this and I'm going to fill in some other. I've done some research. I, a guy, somebody wrote this and then I did some research and I just have gotten my mind blown the last few days. Uh, let's see. Should I do it this way? I'm trying to figure out how to do this. I'm just going to read it and get this part done. And I'll add in, add in a few things. This is called oil patch, the oil patch warriors of world war two. You ever heard of it? Oil patch warriors of world war two or the Sherwood forest. You ever heard of the Sherwood forest with Robin hood or the Sherwood forest roughnecks roughnecks are another term for oil workers, right? 75 years ago this month, a band of roughnecks went abroad on a top secret mission into Robin Hood's stomping grounds to punch oil wells to help fuel England's war machines. It's a story that should make any oil man or woman proud. The year was 1943, and England was mired in World War II. U-boats, remember the U-boats? Those were German, amazing German attack boats that were blowing up ships left and right. In fact, I have a photo of a of a oil tanker, 125 miles. I want you to think how close that is to our country. An oil tanker, 125 miles left Florida and was blown up by U-boat. So U-boats were fairly close to the United States. U-boats attacked supply vessels, choking off badly needed supplies to the island nation. But oil was co- was the commodity needed uh, the most as they warred against Germany. A book... In fact, I think I'm going to order this book. And by the way, thank you to, I, I brought up a book, The Plague of Corruption, Oh My Goodness, by Judy Mikovits. And I am getting my 
brains blown apart. That the you got to order the book. You got to get the book, "The Plague of Corruption" by Judy Mikovits. But the forward, there's an introduction and a forward. I think whatever comes first, Bobby Kennedy Jr. wrote the liberal environmentalist lawyer. That guy can write. He is very bright. And just I would buy the book again for just his eight or nine pages. It will blow your socks right off your feet uh, regarding the pharmaceutical and vaccines, the pharmaceutical industry and corruption in science. And we're talking about all this COVID stuff. Oh, baby, just his part will light you up. It's very easy reading. Judy, Judy Mikovits is a, and her um, co-writer. Uh, I can't I can't catch his name right right away. They are amazing writers. It's very great reading. It's uh, she's a very uplifting person. So uh, anyway, I brought that up on the air and I and I got a copy and it's I thank you so much for the copy. So this book, uh, this book, it's called The Secret of Sherwood Forest Oil Production in England During World War Two. It's written by Guy Woodward and and Grace Steele Woodward. Uh, they published it in 1973, and it tells the obscure story of American oil workers who went to England to to drill wells in a top-secret mission in March of 1943. Now, you couldn't fly. They, they had to get on a ship to get over there, right? And they could get blown right out of the sea. So England had – I want you to think about this. California is a lot like England, uh, except we have a lot more oil, but the environmentalists won't let us draw, draw it. So we're an island. California's kind of an island. We have water on one side, but we can't we can't bring oil in by pipeline into California. If you're wondering why our, our costs are so high here, we got to truck it in or boat it in because they won't let us drill it here. So l- think about this now. England's an island. England had but one oil field in Sherwood Forest. It's meager output. It was only putting out 300 barrels a day, uh, and it and they were using up 100. England was blowing through 150,000 barrels a day to fuel the war machine. You, you're bringing in, you're producing 300. You need 150,000. So they were trying to bring oil over from America and other countries, and the oil tankers were getting blown out of the water. Then a top-secret plan was devised to send some Americans and their expertise to assist in developing the field, the oil field, the Sherwood Forest. Oklahoma-based noble, this, I just love this about America, kick, kick-ass America. Come on, man. It's so awesome. I would have loved to live back there and been a part of this. Oklahoma-based noble drilling company, along with Fane Porter Drilling Company, signed a one-year contract to drill 100 wells. In, a, in one year, knock down, a, find and drill and and develop 100 wells for England. And they were going to do it simply for cost and expenses, no profit. Forty-two men from Texas and Oklahoma, mostly in their teens. I want you to think about this. Teenagers and early 20s. I have a photo of them. It's just an awesome photo. Er, teens and early 20s volunteered for the mission to go abroad. Can you imagine people... People going abroad was like only the ultra rich ever did this, right? And these guys, uh, they were probably needed here to drill. They, they Instead of joining the military, they said, no, 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 we need you to get the oil out of the ground. We need the oil. 
So these guys volunteered instead of staying safe in the United States to get on a boat, go to England that was getting bombed. Guys in their teens and early 20s volunteered for the mission to go abroad. The hands embarked for England in uh, March 43 aboard the HMS Queen Elizabeth. Four, uh, Four drilling rigs were loaded onto ships, different ships, but only three made it. And then a fourth one was shipped later. A Nazi U-boat sank one of the rigs en route to the U.K., but they sent a fourth one later. The Brits' jaws dropped as the Yanks began punching the wells in a week. In other words, they, are, they got on land, and in one week they were, they were knocking out wells. They, they were... Um, they were punching out wells in a week compared to uh, five to eight weeks. In other words, they would do a well a week, one well, boom, seven days they got a well. Another seven days, another well, another seven days. Their crews. It was taking the British the way they did things, just the way their techniques were, five to seven, five to eight weeks to do the same amount of work. Because I, I don't have time to get into all the details, but it's very cool. They worked 12 hours a day. They worked 12-hour tours, and then another shift would come on. Seven days a week, and within a year, the Americans had drilled 106 wells, and England oil production went from 300 barrels a day to over 300,000 barrels a day. This is like this won the war. Are you kidding me? They went from 300 barrels a day to over 300,000, not 3,000, 300,000 barrels a day. The contract was fulfilled. The American oil men departed England in late March 1944. But only 41 men were on board the return voyage. Remember, 42 went. Herman Douthat a Texan Derek hand was killed during the operation. He fell off. He was way high up on the rig and he lost his footing and fell and died from uh, colliding, you know, hitting the ground. Uh, it, in other words, no one shot him or something. So anyway, uh, we had one death on all in, in drilling a hundred and something wells. Uh, so in honor of them and Herman, uh, they buried Herman Douthat to they, he's the only civilian with full military honors, uh, buried in the American military cemetery in Cambridge. He's called the oil patch or they are called the oil patch warriors or warrior. And then what they did is they hired, and I have this in this article. I'll, I'll, I may get it to you in a minute. Anyway, they hired a person to create this seven foot bronze statue of a roughneck holding a four inch foot pipe wrench. And it stands near Nottingham, England to honor the American oil men's assistance and sacrifice in the war. A replica was placed in Oklahoma. They, they built two exactly and placed in Ardmore, Oklahoma in 2001 it says it is no, by no means a stretch to state that without the American mission, we might all be speaking German today. Now, that's what this little write-up did. But honestly, I got this article. Oh, baby, this article. I may write an article for the territorial. It's, this article is long, and it is fascinating and very inspirational. And you think 
about statues and honoring people. Now, I'm sure that the Black Lives Matter would love to tear down this statue because of it, it involves fossil fuel. But uh, anyway, uh, it shows pictures of the statues, and they are awesome. But the statues are uh, – I'm trying to find where they talk about the statue. And to get it right, they – all the aspects of the clothing, the gloves, the uh, they wanted every pocket. They wanted to be an actual uh, exact resemblance, a replica, not a resemblance, but a replica of these guys. And I'm going to get you some of the details because some of you that got a few years on you will really appreciate some of the, the details on the statue. So we'll be right back, and we have our last segment. Okay, hold on. Midnight kiss the slow dances in the rain But you got my heart beating fast yeah. Where this is going, baby, I can't say Every time you leave me, I just want you to say But I... I am told that Kamala Harris is African-American because she identifies as African-American. But does thinking something make it so? If Donald Trump identifies as African-American, would that make him African-American? Doesn't he need African-American roots? If I identify with a bowl of green cheese, does that make me a bowl of green cheese? Obviously not. Kamala Harris's ethnic roots are actually Indo-Jamaican. Her father's Jamaican, her mom Asian Indian, and in this video, I'm gonna talk about mom's side of the family. I'm holding in my hand an article from the Los Angeles Times titled, The Progressive Indian Grandfather Who Inspired Kamala Harris. It's this guy, P.V. Gopalan, a leftist, a socialist. And it should be pointed out that socialism is what made India the begging bowl of the world. Uh, India was desperately poor because of it. When I was growing up, my family had a ration card uh, telling us how much rice and sugar and cooking oil we could buy. We were on a seven-year wait to get a phone. This is what socialism did to India, and apparently this relic, which most Indians reject, India only became more prosperous. The Indian middle class only expanded when India moved away from socialism. So Indians today reject socialism completely. Um, and it takes a kind of archaic Indian figure like Gopalan and his influence on Kamala Harris, apparently, to want to bring this discredited, ridiculous ideology to the United States. Now I want to talk about Kamala's mom, Shamala, who is quite a piece of work. She's quoted in San Francisco Weekly saying this, In Indian society, we go by birth. We are Brahmins. That is the top caste. Please do not confuse this with class, which is only about money. For Brahmins, the bloodline is the most important. My family named Gopalan goes back more than a thousand years. Now the caste system, unfortunately, is a part of Indian life, but enlightened, educated Indians reject it. It is really sad to see an educated Indian woman boasting about her bloodline. Uh, and how superior her family is to other Indian families. I think we can trace 
Kamala Harris's elitism um, to mom. But now I want to turn to one of mom's traits that is uh, very un-Indian, and that is that Kamala Harris, when she was in her 20s, was in a very flamboyant way dating a much, much older man, Willie Brown, a very powerful figure in San Francisco politics. And here is what the mom, Shamala, in the same San Francisco Weekly article says about it. Why shouldn't she have gone out with Willie Brown? He was a player. And what could Willie Brown expect from her in the future? He has not much life left. Think of the ruthless cynicism of this. What she's saying is that Willie Brown can do a lot for my daughter. My daughter doesn't have to do a lot for him because the guy is going to die anyway. So here you have an Indian mom actually taking a certain calculating pleasure in renting out her daughter to advance the family's fortunes. Now, I admit that all over the world, especially in the third world, there are desperately poor moms who might think like this. But by and large, for an upper middle class educated woman to have this cynical view, I'm going to sort of put my daughter out so she can advance socially by, you may say, levitating her way to the top, this, I think, most Indians and most Americans would find morally disgraceful. Hey everyone, Andy Singer again from the Heartland Institute, and I'm bringing you another report from climaterealism.com. Today, we're going to talk about California blackouts. So, do y'all remember back in the years 2000 and 2001 when California imposed rolling blackouts on many of its citizens? This was caused by a shortage of electricity supply due to market manipulation. Essentially, the company Enron created an artificial shortage of energy supply so that speculators could benefit from an 800% increase in wholesale energy prices. Well now, year's 2020, we got the Tiger King, we got murder hornets, we got COVID, California still has blackouts. Let's look at what's going on. Basically, the blackouts happening in California now are due to unreliable, or green, energy. To understand why this is happening, we have to look at the year 2006. So in 2006, California passed the Global Warming Solutions Act, known as AB32. AB32 required that 50% of California's energy be provided by green sources by the year 2025. So this basically means wind and solar. By 2030, it had to be 60%, and by 2045, it has to be 100% carbon-free energy. This is a pipe dream, and if you followed us at all, you know why. But we're actually seeing some effects from this now, so let's go into it. California, obviously, heavily invested in green energy sources. Now, at the moment, they're dealing with a brutal heat wave. Brutal. One of the effects of this heat wave is that the wind isn't blowing. That's just part of what happens in heat waves. So, with all the wind power gone, California needs a majority of its energy to come from solar. Now, can you guess what time the blackouts are occurring? It's not during the day when the sun's shining. In the evening, a massive number of Californians are dealing with rolling blackouts, and it's due to the fact that there's no wind blowing and the sun isn't shining. It's due to AB32. It's due to this massive amount of green energy, the reliance on green energy. So when people need the power the most, which is during a heat wave, when they need their air conditioning, their friz fridges, their freezers, I combine those two words, the freezers, it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, maybe TVs just because they're stuck inside due to the heat. Um, they're not getting it. They're not getting it because California legislators decided that bowing to the profit of green energy is more important than reliable energy for its citizens. And we need to take this as a lesson. With the Green New Deal on the horizon, with socialism on the rise in America, 
we, we have to actually look at California as a case study of why mandating massive amounts of unreliable green energy doesn't work. When people need their power the most, they're not getting it. We're seeing it now. This is Andy Singer from the Heartland Institute, reporting from climaterealism.com. People say I'm foolish. People say I'm blinded by faith. But if I run out of air, if I crash, I don't care. I'm gonna do it my way. I can make it through this. You can throw the world in my face. But the All right, Wolfie. Welcome back. I want to mention before I get back into finishing this story about the oil patch heroes uh, and the statue that they built, which I, I've i got a new – I mean, I've always respected – in fact, I really wanted to, to move the John Sutter statue that they took down in Sacramento, move it up here because John Sutter had so much to do with both Hume and Sutter counties because – whether a life is perfect or not, it it encapsulates some of the amazing things that person did throughout their life. So anyway, l- let me say this about one of our final sponsors. And by the way, if you want to help sponsor us, you can. Uh, uh, you can just reach me, re- reach out to me by email. I've already given you all that information or phone number or whatever. And uh, if you ever want me to promote your store or business or whatever or you just want to support what we're doing here you can or if you don't that's totally fine with me I'm, I'm good so um i also want to mention uh thanks to ted holmes with the plumbing doctor and they work in the yuba sutter county area and they help me a lot personally whenever i have a problem and they do good work they've they've helped me save a lot of water here Water is very expensive here in in Marysville. We have a private water service. It's very expensive. You could spend $100, $200 a month here easy for just water. And so they've they've helped me with ways to conserve water and and also just keep my systems running. Every time my stuff breaks down, you know how it is. need to keep the water running in the right direction. And uh, so you can reach them, and you have a problem at six seven one nine one one one. That's five three zero area code six seven one nine one one one. I also want to promote a, one other thing that uh, you know for twenty six years now we've been a group of people in the Yuba Sitter area, and of course it's changed over the years from when we started in nineteen ninety four December. Uh, we have all people that just donate their time and their talent, and they they spend a lot of time training with uh, emergency responders and from all the disciplines, law enforcement, fire, medical, uh, and they go out on 911 calls to help survivors. So, you know, just, just last week we had a couple suicides, and we had an overdose, and you know, just natural death, car crashes, drown, we've drowning last two drownings last month. And, and uh, so we work with all the family members and make sure they get taken care of, make sure they know what's going on. And so we just make sure that the emergency system is uh, understood how they're, why they're doing what they're doing and make sure that the emergency system knows what the family needs and make sure we all do the best we can. I would say, if you're going to have the worst day of your life and uh, doing it, and if you have it in Yuba Sutter, you'll get better taken care of here than anywhere else. So we have this trauma intervention program, but we we run it with donations and no one gets paid. 
uh, from the director on down. <clears throat> but we do need money to pay for things like insurance and com- telecommunications, computers. We don't have any office, um, I mean official office. We all operate out of our homes, so it's very lean and mean. We don't pay. We don't, we're not buying real estate. We're not buying retirement plans. All the money goes into training and for resources for families and for uh, communications, getting people out there fast um, and all that kind of stuff. So we've done, well, something like 11,200 calls in the 26 years we've been doing it. So last month we did 37 responses. So each year we, we do some fundraising. Throughout the year, sometimes we get an occasional check, but we get we do some fundraising. This is the time of year we do it. We used to do a dinner, but right now with COVID, that's impossible. And even before that, it became less and less profitable for us. So we simply ask people if they want to give to, you know, lots of Americans. America is the most giving country in the world from a government point of view and from an individual point of view. Mississippi are the most generous people in the country percentage of their wages. It's the poorest state in the union, and they're the most generous individuals in the country. Uh, so I know people like to support things, and unfortunately, sometimes they support things that the money doesn't go for what they intend it to, or not much of it does. So, But if you'd like to support trauma intervention program, which is what I'm talking about, you can do it in a number of ways. And so you could send money, if you have in-kind item, like you want to give, like one year, Portland Trauma Intervention, someone gave a used Harley Davidson. And you never know what somebody has that they don't know what to do with, and they want to use it to help. So sometimes people have given us the use of a cabin or house on the beach or something where we could use it and we can auction it off. And so we've auctioned off pistols before. We've auctioned off uh vacation stays for a weekend at a house we've auctioned off tickets airline tickets if you have any uh some people have a lot of uh miles you know on their or or points on their credit cards where you can get free air miles and stuff if you have that sometimes you can donate that so if you have anything sometimes it's just not money but you can give away stuff maybe you're never going to use it or maybe you use your cabin or somebody uses their cabin you know, there's certain weeks, weekends a year they never use a cabin, so they could, so we could auction those things off. So in-kind gifts are great, or or a monetary gift. You, one of the easiest ways, I mean, not the. Sometimes it's not easy. If you, it's easy for some to write a check. Otherwise, it, to go online and do it through uh, credit cards easier for others. Sometimes if if you send us a check, we get a hundred percent of the money. You can send a PO Box six four five Marysville, California. 645 Marysville, California. Tip, T-I-P, very simple. And uh, you just send the money, and we'll send you a thank you note. Um, You can go to gofundme.com backslash tip 2021. We say 2021, so it's funding the next year. gofundme.com backslash tip at 2021. If you don't know much about tip and you want to kind of convince yourself like you do with Dave Grinnett's construction, you can go to Yuba Sutter, Y-U-B-A Sutter, S-U-T-T-E-R tip, Yuba Sutter tip, one word, dot com. And you can check us out and you can just click on donate or click on get involved and you can donate right from there as well. So essentially, if you give money to us, all the money goes to help 
people having the worst experience of their life and making sure that they're cared for. They get to the resources, the groups, the support groups, the literature, all the help they get to, whether it's the death of a child, whether it's the burning of their house, whatever happens. So if you'd like to support support us, that that's great. So I want to uh, go on now and uh, talk about the statue. So uh, so the England was very grateful <clears throat> for uh, for this, and uh, so they hired an artist, Jay Amelia, and Amelia was born in 1927 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he resides at, at this time. This was he was still residing there. I think actually I don't know that he's I don't know if he's still alive. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, he was inducted in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame in 1999. Uh, he was interviewed for this article that I'm reading. He he recalled that the statue's design quickly evolved. He said the notion of an oil patch warrior soon developed at parade rest with roughnecks' best weapon. Uh, a Stilson wrench. So the big, I call it a monkey wrench. It's called a Stilson, S-T-I-L-L-S-O-N. It's a particular kind of wrench they used on oil rigs. And instead of holding a rifle, this guy was holding a Stilson wrench. Uh, so they, there was a group that helped come up with the idea. Omelia also remembered how authenticity was critical down to the period gloves and the hard hat. They even sent me a pair of original overalls that was worn there so I would get it exactly right. Uh, So he said, those who look very closely will see the telltale impression of a pack of cigarettes in the oil patch worker's pocket. Lucky strike. Now, I don't know whether you, you know, if you don't have any years on, you don't know what a lucky strike. But my brother, I think my brother used to smoke them. Everybody smoked in my family, and I used to see Lucky Strike packs. They were a popular cigarette back in the day, Lucky Strike. And in the in the packet of this oil rig worker, now see, this is totally would need to be torn down today because the guy's a smoker. So the Lucky, you can see it's a pack of not just any cigarettes, but it's Lucky Strikes. And uh, Omelia explained with a laugh because Lucky Strike uh, Green has gone to war. That was a great, it was an advertising campaign. But for Lucky Strike, that Lucky Strike Green, that's a style of cigarette, had gone to war. So uh, artist J. Amelia of Tulsa traveled to England for the May 1991 dedication of the Oil Patch Warrior statue. And I'm looking at it, and it is awesome. And so they dedicated these statues uh, in 1991 and in 2001. So they're uh, – anyway – I just think anybody that works in the oil business ought to be so proud of this. And if anybody's parents, uh, dads or uncles or brothers worked in this, he said in May 1991, Noble Drilling Corporation funded the return. This is so awesome. Of 14 surviving oil men to the dedication of Omelia's seven foot bronze oil patch statue. In Sherwood Forest, 10 years after the ceremony in England, the citizens of Ardmore, Oklahoma, determined to honor veterans. They discovered that the original molds remained. So initially, they just built the one in England, right? So people wanted to honor veterans in Ardmore, Oklahoma. These people are awesome. So they discovered that the original molds remained in Amelia's Colorado foundry. So 
it says our mission was to create a memorial park that would honor those who sacrificed their lives, those who served in the military during times of war and peace, and the oil drillers and energy industry that came to England's rescue in World War II, explained Jack Riley, chairman of the Memorial Square Committee. Omelia recasts the Sherman Forest oil patch warrior for Ardmore, Oklahoma, from the original molds. The statue was dedicated on November 10, 2001, with representatives from Noble Oil Company and Fane Porter Oil Company joining veterans at the ceremony. A brick walkway through the Memorial Square displays the names of Ardmore area veterans. Memorial Square honors veterans who are responsible for the freedom we enjoy today and the in, 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 sorry the in, in, whew, the energy industry say that five times quick energy industry which is responsible for the economic strength of our community in Ardmore uh this is it's awesome i would yeah and they fact that they flew these guys these old uh oil rig guys over there uh to honor them. Uh, it says, fortunately, in these two imposing bronze oil patch warriors separated by an ocean of history, the story of the roughnecks of Sherwood Forest can always be remembered. Uh, so there you have it. Now you know, now you know a little bit. I bet, I bet they're not teaching that in public education today. In fact, I don't, Oh, by the way, schools are closed, right? They don't even teach anymore. We have to do that at home. That's right. It's a wonder that a common cold would knock the whole school system right out. All right. So I think I did most of the stuff. By the way, I got another story that is so amazing. Look up a gal named Dorothy Thompson. She was a feminist. And she went to Europe with another lady friend of hers. They they thought they were both writers. And they wanted to be uh, world international correspondents. And she ended up interviewing Adolf Hitler. And she was the only journalist ever to get thrown completely out of uh, Germany by the Nazis. Because she just got under Adolf's skin. And she, throughout World War II, she became famous, Dorothy Thompson, for exposing the Nazis. Even though she was a liberal. She was a, a progressive. She was a uh, she fought for women's rights and all those kinds of things back there. They're fighting for the right to vote and things like that. So uh, anyway, that's another lady that. But but this 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 oil rig thing is uh, pretty cool that I just uh, I just read to you. And uh, so I'd, I think I mentioned this uh, a week or two ago. Uh I don't know how many Christian people do other than Christians would read C.S. Lewis. Um, he read, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote a lot of books, mere Christianity. Uh, he wrote a great book on grief. He got married late in life to a lady named joy. And then she, I think she came down with cancer and it was, she really suffered great pain. And he did, he wrote a book on grief that I've used in trauma work that I do and and what it was like for him to go through as a spouse and and watch his wife suffer but he wrote a book called the screw tape letters that i have a couple of copies of actually um that 
was his imagination after studying the Bible. He he came to Christ late in life, and uh, from his study of the Bible and his understanding of the demonic world, he wrote the book, The Screwtape Letters, which um, is basically a dialogue between uh, a senior demon and a... Uh, a first-class demon, right? Private demon. So it says, first published in February 1942, the story takes the form of a series of letters from a senior demon, Screwtape, his name, Screwtape, to his nephew, Wormwood. He, so you have a senior tempter and a junior tempter. And demons uh, have the ability to tempt and taunt and harass humans. That's what the Bible teaches. And so most Christians don't believe that, but that's what the Bible teaches. And so C.S. Lewis believed the Bible, and he tried to bring it to life in a lot of ways. He used the Chronicles of Narnia to bring it uh, alive through allegory. And then he also wrote more direct things about the reason for people to come to faith in things like mere Christianity or the abolition of man. And uh, then he wrote Screwtape Letters, which is gives people an insight into the supernatural. So, uh, so anyway, we have this discussion, and and they're after they're wanting to harass this guy who they refer to as the patient, and that's the person, that's the guy, that's us humans, right? So again, let me say the story takes the form of a series of letters from a senior demon called Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood, a junior tempter. The, un- the uncle's mentorship pertains to the nephew's responsibility in securing the damnation of a British man known as the patient. Now, I want to just read you just a small snippet that I read before, but it, it has incredible application to this moment in time. August 20, 2020, when I'm actually working on this. You'll hear it on 22 of 2020. So this is where Wormwood or Satan, it may refer to Satan, but the way he writes it here, it says, um, hold on, my computer is, I'm not getting this right straight. Sorry. Satan says, I will cause anxiety. I want you to see if you feel any anxiety. Just see if if you identify this. I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will shut down businesses, schools, places of worship, and sports events. I will cause economic turmoil. I want you to just describe. If you described in your own words what has happened, no matter who you believe caused all this right now since March, I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will shut down businesses, schools, places of worship, and sports events. I will cause economic turmoil. And then Jesus turns around and says, I will bring together neighbors. I will restore the family unit. I will bring dinner back. When I, when I was raised, I can't even remember the dinners I didn't eat with my family. We always say together. Jesus says, I will bring the dinner back to the kitchen table. I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me 
and not the world. I will teach my children to trust me and not their money and material resources. Isn't that interesting? Let me say it one more time. I will bring together neighbors, restore the family unit. I will bring dinner back to the kitchen table. I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not the world. I will teach my children to trust me and not their money and material resources. So maybe you'd like to get a copy of the screw tape letters. And finally, this little meme here, Corona isn't Trump's fault. Ebola wasn't Obama's fault. SARS wasn't Bush's fault. And only a handful of cases of herpes was Clinton's fault. I will see you in a week. And I think that should be the 29th of August, be the last show for August. So bless somebody, be kind to somebody out there, and uh, don't wear a mask. Good night. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them.